told you I'm the private show. Once upon a time. Hello, Are we ready, Tonight, I will be the glitchy one, as I am not in my studio, but in Kansas City, Kansas, not Missouri, Kansas. Um, so I'm not in the studio, So we, but we would not let anything stop myself and Trey to celebrate the album that has brought us all together. 
So, with much love, I'm excited to say that this is our one-year anniversary of doing the show. 12 episodes. And are you ready for this? 1,412,000 downloads of our podcast as of this morning. The most successful show that I have ever put together. And it's all because of you, Trey. <laughs> I doubt that. I, I think it's all the wine lovers I brought to the show, maybe. You know, it's it's there's a, a untapped group of Pearl Jam fans out there that, that you know all these other podcasters were missing and we just happened to, to drill right down into them. So but I'm honored to do this with you. I, I was so excited. Uh you know, it's a one year anniversary, the thirtieth anniversary of the, one of the greatest albums ever recorded and released. And and just like you said, it's the reason that we're all here. It really is. And uh so, you know, I showed this to you earlier, but to celebrate the 30th anniversary of this album being released, I had to call a friend of mine. You know, I was not making wine 30 years ago. I was a college student at the University of Georgia. Um, but my friend Casey was making wine here in Walla Walla. And I called him up and I said, first of all, you see it's a magnum, right? That's two bottles of wine in there. So this is going to be a long show, Anthony. <laughs> that's good holly holly's helping me holly's helping me she's got i left her a decanter she's got a full decanter of wine i've got half a bottle but this is a bottle of 1991 seven hills vineyard seven hills winery seven hills vineyard cabernet and let me tell you it is absolutely stunning 30 year old bottle of cabernet and this thing is in prime condition, tastes like great Bordeaux. And I'm imagining that this Magnum on release was probably like 40 bucks back then. On the high side, I should have asked Casey when I picked it up today. And let me ask you this, what does something like that go for nowadays? Well, I mean, they're not for sale, right? I had to call Casey, he had to go to his, uh, his wine locker to even see if he had anything from 91. And uh, he texted me back, said, I found a bottle of uh, Seven Hills Cab. Uh, and so I went to pick it up, and it was a Magnum. And I was like, a Magnum? Jesus. And he's like, that's all I had. I said, I had a couple Magnums and 91s left. So he was very kind to share with me. And he was like, you know, I, God, I hope it's still good. But I've I'm never so had good. a bad bottle of Casey's wines, especially the older ones. He's a great winemaker. And he, uh, you know, yeah, he's a great winemaker. And uh, I'm just, I'm thrilled that I get to drink this timeless classic while listening to a timeless classic like Pearl Jam 10 with you, Anthony. What are you drinking tonight, buddy? I texted you the other day and said, I flew here, so I couldn't bring any wine. So you told me, hey, this is a pretty awesome thing, but I sell my wine in Kansas City. You gave him the address of, I, do. I don't know, 11 places. I went out, and I got this bottle of wine. It is a 2018 Spellbinder. It's something you didn't send me, so yeah. it's not something I had at the house. And I got this one. That's because good. It's a, a good selection of your wine uh, in a couple places here, but this one I didn't have to get a bottle opener for. So, uh, yeah, it was it was some good stuff, definitely. <laughs> for. Uh, that's right. That's right. I didn't have to get my drill and uh, a screw to uh, open this one up. So, uh you know, it's yeah, all good. That, so, but hey, we, we wanted something that was 
We wanted something that was easy to uh, open up on the ride home. Mm. Mm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 don't do it. But tonight is special, right? Not only are we celebrating our, celebrating our one year yeah. anniversary, we're celebrating 30 years of 10. Um, we have uh, we have three guests that are coming on tonight. Um, we already announced that Lance Mercer is going to be one of our guests. Lance Mercer should be joining us um, at any moment. Um, I apologize for the technical difficulties. The issue was I set this show up when I was home and it was set up for nine o'clock. Well, when I came into this new time zone, my computer still said it was set for nine o'clock and it's eight o'clock. So there was a discrepancy. Um, so up oh, and I see him. Let's bring the mask up you. on the screen. You guys are all Lance. blurry. Ah, hey, 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 look at that. Lance, you're looking Lance good, buddy. Look at that. It hey. is clean shaven. Yeah, this, I mean, not really. <laughs> Lance, it's an absolute honor to have you on the show, first of all. Hey, thanks, man. Wait, okay, first of all, you guys are all blurry. Is it going to come in a little sharper in a minute? What's going on? You yeah, guys so, got, like, dial up or what? Yeah, so um, in, in Kansas City, where I'm at right now, the hotel, we, I had to plug in the modem the phone jack in the wall aol instant messenger popped up it was amazing some guy x asl is like you know 36 look you know all that stuff that, you know i thought i thought i thought we were doing a myspace i thought we were doing a myspace meet and greet right here yeah that mail. <laughs> oh uh, man yeah no now it Lance, this is unfortunately great, with uh me not in the studio okay so it's it's delayed, right? So do we have to kind of, uh, I mean, Just up in the corner, it. up in the corner, it looks good. But then on the main screen, it's like, as long as you can hear us, okay. Yeah, if you can hear us, it's all that counts. Okay, yeah, I can hear you. All right. So, all right, so Lance, we brought you on tonight. Well, first uh, of all, not only are you, uh, you know, the history of you as a photographer, is absolutely amazing. You've been a part of so many, um, uh, you know, historic photos that are gonna, you know, outlast all of us in time that kids are gonna look back to and their kids to understand what music was in a certain time period. But um, one really uh, distinguished, um, you know, portfolio piece that you have is a lot to do around the band that we all love and we're talking about this evening and that's Pearl Jam. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, so, you know, I really wanna know, you know, and because this, we're gonna keep this around 10, when you photographed the band back in the early 90s, especially around the album 10. Yeah. Did you, what, did you recognize that there was something special going on at that time? Or was this just another band photo shoot? Um, no, I definitely did. I mean, it was interesting because you have to remember, um, we had all still been a little bit, I know me especially and and everybody was still pretty shell-shocked from andy passing away from the love bone because for all intents and purposes you know love bone was was going to be the first band to break out of seattle on a major label and and you know that had never happened before and they had all the perfect elements to do that and to to you know take the big stage so so there was already kind of that mindset that had started to happen with love bones so 
And it also highlighted Jeff and Stone's talents, obviously. So it wasn't a surprise. Like, you know, I think we all knew that something else was going to happen and it was going to be substantial. Um, although I have to say for myself, uh, I was still hesitant, you know, just because of Andy passing and, and uh, I mean, granted, there a lot of time had gone by, but um uh yeah so i still kind of like you know just checking out but i will say there was there was a moment where uh jeff had given me the demo and i had heard some songs bits and pieces before that but he gave me the album and i'll never forget sitting in the car outside of our apartment me and my wife at the time and we listened to the whole thing in its entirety and I think it was the first time I had ever said, like, fuck, these guys are going to be huge, you know? And not, it wasn't, it was saying it back then is a lot different than now. Like, now there's, I think, some connotation of sarcasm and, and uh, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, you know kind of like oh yeah they they did all the stuff perfectly yeah that wasn't the case with this it was just there was definitely something about it uh that clicked um you know and it's easy to say that now in hindsight given how how that yeah, I mean, blew up but you know uh it was pretty obvious that something was, was happening. like you could just feel that those guys together like they created something very special at that time and um but still you know i'm in the situation of like trying to figure out what i was going to do i mean just i think right at that same time that was i had just quit my last job that i've had that was the last time i had a regular job was like in 91 and i had just decided to embark on this career as a photographer so you know there's all these kind of bits and pieces coming at me and I was like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do, you know? So, so it all kind of is one of those perfect storm things, but that's, that's, you know, separate from I, Lance. I read, I read somewhere that uh, you were at that first show at the off ramp yeah. and you, you, you didn't even make it all the way through. You sort of, you left. And I think it has to do really with your feelings about Andy at the time. And obviously that was a, um, you know, they, they just wanted to get on stage to play these songs just to see what it felt like after they'd been rehearsing them for six or seven days. Um, but I had read somewhere that you were there and then you and then you left. I, I know you didn't take any photos that night either, because if, if you had, I, I know we would have seen them for sure. Um, I mean, I, I have shots from the off ramp from, I think, the next show that they did there. But, yeah, that's totally yeah. true. I uh you know, that same kind of feeling was happening where um, I kept, I mean, it sounds a little bit weird, but um, the time before when I saw Jeff and Stone playing in those spots was Love Bone. And so I kept seeing Andy. Um, you know, they, it's one of those things where you, uh, after somebody passes away, you think you see them. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then... 
Oh, you're like, oh no, that's not them. So I kept having these flashes and especially, um, I mean, seeing the way I did and do as a photographer, especially when bands are playing live, like I just kept having these shots pop into my head of Andy in it. Uh, yeah, it was hard, man. I, I walked out. Because uh, I was still just like, eh, you know, I don't know about this thing. <laughs> That's uh, a new guy, right? I mean, first of all, this guy yeah. from Seattle, right? This guy is coming up from yeah. San Diego. Uh, you know, everybody else that was that was on the stage certainly was part of the local scene. Um, but here's this new guy that's not even living there yet. Like he was still flying up and back from San Diego to to be with yeah. the, be with the band to like get things going. And so I could see where there'd be some hesitancy. I, I had Justin Hampton. Uh, we did a we had a show this past weekend in my tasting room in Seattle, and Justin Hampton, the poster designer, who worked for the Rocket magazine, and 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 so yeah. he he was at that first show, and he was the merch guy, and so he was basically oh, selling merch for um, I want to say it was uh, what was Ty Wilman's band at the time? Uh, love love in Inspector Love in Inspector Love and the Ride Me Babies. So, so Justin Hampton was selling merchandise. I mean, there was no Pearl Jam merchandise or even Mookie Blaylock merchandise. He was just there to work work the merch table for Inspector Love and a couple other guys. And oh, I got shit. to see that show. I didn't and, know. Uh, that. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either until he, until we were talking about it this past weekend, and I was just sort of shocked. And then he was at the the show that you were at that you were talking about, Lance, that second off ramp show. Yeah, and you know, it went from you know. A hundred people to three hundred people, yeah, or whatever was that second show, and it's amazing how fast the buzz uh, about Stone and Jeff's new band was working its way around Seattle at that point. And um, totally, uh, it just, it, it, I think it attests a little bit to the magic of those two guys because they, you know, with Green River and and uh, you know all their history with all the other musicians around Seattle at the time and. Um, you know, they, and like you said, uh, that Mother Love Bone album, you know, I, I found a, a 1990 Rolling Stone magazine that I've kept, and it talked about the Seattle scene, the September of 1990. So this is a month before Eddie came down to, um, to, yeah. came to Seattle. And the article said, it was about, you know, it said these, these three bands will be the next three big bands. It said the Posies, Allison Chains, and Mother Love Bone. And the wow. article about Mother Love Bone said, you know, they just signed a $250,000 deal to Poly, Polygram Records. It said, except this is a band that's not even around anymore because of uh, Andy's death back early in the year. Yeah. But they, but they mentioned in the article that Stone and Jeff had some music. And the, Stone said he had 12 songs written and that they're going to, you know, they want to try something new. And I, I love, uh, it was so neat reading that. It's, you know, it's historical fact. You go back and look at this stuff. But uh, this is a month before Eddie, Eddie even made it up. Yeah. You know, so. Um, well, and then they, but, they did the um, mural amphitheater show, I think, right after that. And I think that was kind of the, you know, that was one of the pivotal moments, too, where 
that crowd had grown even pretty substantially, you know? Um, that's right. And that was, that was Dave Abruzzi's first show. Oh, he had literally practiced with him for man, four days he, because uh, Dave, Dave, Dave Cruz and bowed out. Matt Chamberlain had jumped in for one or two shows or yeah. something like that. And, but he uh, took that job at Saturday night live Matt. and he suggested Dave and I, you know, there's some great video. I know you were at that show uh, photographing it. There's some great video of that mural amphitheater show on YouTube. Uh, and again, the, the, you could feel the swell of energy yeah. from that very first show in October to that March show at mural and how quickly uh, that band um, really just attracted people to that sound. Totally. Well, and, and well, yeah, Matt Chamberlain did a couple of shows. That's right. I shot the Alive. They did the Alive video with Matt Chamberlain. That's right. And that, was that the Moore Theater? The no, Alive that was, was at Rock, Rock Candy. Rock Candy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of a blur. Here's the other thing that's like super fucking weird to me sometimes when I think back. We are all in our early 20s. Like, it's crazy. You know what I mean? I still think of like, oh, yeah, 92 and 93. It doesn't seem as long ago. But then these anniversaries come up and I'm like, Jesus Christ, that was a long fucking time ago. <laughs> Actually, somewhere in their 20s, I was still only 13 because really. I'm, of course, I'm, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? But yeah, there is, you know, the and the other thing is, uh, you know, I I born and raised in Seattle and grew up, started going to shows when I was like 13. Um, and it's always been very somewhat insular and, um, you know, we're at the, we're at the, in the corner of the country, right? So bands would like play Portland or Vancouver. Um, and so we all, I, I think the whole kind of protective um, bubble that we were in carried through for quite a while, you know, so it's, and that's in reference to Eddie coming in. I mean, I think, you know, I've never talked to him about it, but I think it took some time for everybody to kind of warm up and invite him into this world that we, we already had. I mean, because um, like I said, that's still, you know, only a couple years not a lot of bands were leaving Seattle as far as like, you know, getting signed to major labels or anything like that. That wasn't happening. You have to give Chris wow. Cornell some credit for that as well. Uh, you, you talk oh, about yeah. welcoming, welcoming Eddie and totally, you know, Temple, the dog, Temple, the dog was recorded before 10 was. Yeah. And Eddie at the time was still living in San Diego. He was still flying back and forth. You know, to be with the band and, 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 and you know, write and, and you know, as they were going to the studio. Uh, but Chris really took him under his wing. And I think that that, you know, anybody else in the Seattle music scene at that point realized because, you know, they, you know, Chris was Chris. And so, well, if Chris accepts him, then we have to accept him, too. You know, like this is our guy. Well, yeah. I mean, Soundgarden had already been a band like 10 years in the running. Yeah. Uh, by that time, yeah. you know, they were playing uh punk rock shows back in the day when i was still going you know shows that i was going to so they yeah they they definitely were veterans of the scene already but uh well and also what's funny is that 
Eddie was living temporarily in the practice room in Belltown under the Potato Head Gallery, which uh, be became my dark room for 15. <laughs> I had that dark wow. room for like 15 years because I needed to. No way. Yeah. So he, he they practiced in this room and he slept in the had this little adjacent room. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a cellar. It was below a forge. Uh, so wow. there's pounding upstairs. And yeah, it was, it was pretty wild, man. But um, so he was living in there for a minute. And then they, they moved out, of course, and got uh, a bigger space, a better space. And I kind of took over that room for, yeah, like 15 years. So let's, what do you think back to that time? About, at, go, go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. I, you know, I, I, what, your work I was, was going to say... You. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lance, oh, when you, when, okay, a, a, lot of, a lot of your work is associated with the album 10. A lot of your photos, a lot of the stories that are associated with that album definitely go around, this, this, around the album 10. And I know that you were in London Bridge Studios at some point when they were recording the album. Yeah. Can you can you take us back to that time and what it was like to photograph that that moment of time? And then in the same sense, how does it make you feel when people associate your work with an album that has changed so many people's lives? Um Okay, the first part of that question, you know, so there's there's some uh I don't know what the word is. Holy grail. There's some, there's some uh, sacred places when it comes to photographing bands and uh, the dressing room backstage is one of them. And then recording studio is the other, just because it's, it's the place where, you know, there's so much focus and all that creative energy is happening. The last thing you want to do is, be a distraction or or uh, get in the way of that process. At the same time, those are the golden moments that any music photographer will tell you or they strive for because whenever you, the band is is with that much focus, you get to blend in even more into the walls, into the background, right? So there's more opportunity for even more candid photography and uh those moments that that um i mean you know all my favorite photographers and photographs usually involve that process so um so i was focused on staying the fuck out of the way and blending into the background as much as i could i wasn't gonna tell them my thoughts or ideas on what they were doing <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really think you guys should do this little part that I've been thinking of. Uh, that wasn't happening. So <laughs> at the same time, I wasn't um, there as a fan necessarily. You know, um, I was there to document. And and so I, I kind of get into this different mindset. Um, you know, how are they set up and competition and all that kind of stuff but at the same time my style is one of just trying to be as comfortable and relaxed as possible and not put my camera in anybody's face so 
did I uh, think that they were making something brilliant and great that would last forever? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't really, I think I had more of that moment like I was telling you when I sat in the car and listened to the music. Um, and I was also friends with, you know, especially Jeff and Stone. It was kind of my first time getting to know Mike and Ed. And, and like I said, those are very intimate moments that I did not want to disturb. Um, so uh, I liked what I heard for sure. I mean, I was only there, I think, a day or and a half, or a couple days. The second part of your question, um, which was what? What's the your, oh, oh sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. No. If um, what does it feel like to to be a part of of something so historic as far as like the record and the yeah. Well, I wish I would have gotten a penny for out every album sold, but that didn't happen. So uh, uh, I'm kidding. That wasn't my first thought. No. Um, again, yeah. Uh, you know, I learned quickly that there is the 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 aspect of collaborating with a, somebody else creative um, is one of the big rewards of of what I do. And uh, I learned quickly that I was not going to survive on just my ego alone. You know, um, that definitely got squashed quickly. And there was something that clicked with Jeff and I early on with Love Bone. Remember, these were the days of, of film. So part of my job was not just the creative part of capturing, but it was the technical part of knowing how to develop film and how to print and all that kind of stuff. So Jeff would have these ideas um, and I got to, you know, execute those ideas as best as I could, depending on what he wanted. And we worked really well together. And it was can you can you take us back to the to the um, the ten photo sessions for the album cover? Uh, because yeah, you mentioned um, and, and I love how you keyed in on um, the creativity of Jeff. You know, Jeff's an artist uh, as well as a musician, and he, I think Jeff thinks like an artist as well. Oh, and absolutely. I love, I love, yeah, I love how the two of you guys connected in that way. Uh, I know I don't know if Jeff takes photographs or not, but I love how the two of you guys connected from the art standpoint. And um, and so when you guys were thinking about what was going to be the album cover, and you had that huge Pearl Jam ten mural in the background, how did, how did that whole process work? You know, how, how did that? Who decided to come up with this huge Pearl Jam sign? And you know, who came up with the idea of doing the five hands up in a up in a pyramid and that kind of thing that was all jeff um he actually did start carrying around a camera and taking pictures and i threatened that i was going to show up with the bass uh that became <laughs> a running um, because his his pictures were you know they used a lot of them on uh the uh the next albums a lot of his work got um no i i think you know, basically the idea came about, we wanted to make these letters larger than life to avoid having anything looked. Now I'm talking about the initial idea to avoid having anything look um, done um, 
digitally, you know, or or at that time, like cut and paste. Like we wanted it to be as authentic as possible. Hence, building these big letters, photographing the band in front of the big letters. Um, and then Jeff had a specific color in mind, which again, at that time, you know, was up to the photographer to get that color with the lighting. Um, it was stressful for sure. You know, there was definitely, um, uh, you know, Jeff had this idea and I think we just kind of, I was just there to capture it. And Ed was new, you know, and he was trying to get consensus with the band. I think there was some struggles of trying to figure out exactly uh, how to go about it. The, the, the five hands, the basketball player kind of, you know, that stance was all Jeff. Uh, unfortunately, if you notice, by the time it got into the hands of whoever did it at the record company, they cut up the photo and put the two photos together, which wasn't, I, I'm pretty, you know, Jeff was pretty pissed by how that ended up turning out. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I don't think he was very happy because the whole idea was I had taken this photo of the band in front of the letters and they ended up cutting out the band and and uh, kind of sandwiching him in there and defeating the whole purpose of what we were doing. I mean, that's kind of my take of what we initially set out to do and what ended up becoming, you know, the color is off too. It wasn't supposed to be as pink. Uh, it was supposed right. to be more red. Um, and, and so I think, you know, there was that, they were still a new band. I mean, they hadn't proven themselves yet. So I don't think they had as much I know they didn't have as much. I can't speak to that as much just because, you know, that I wasn't involved in those conversations. I will say that I have a whole collection of bands doing that pose, not knowing that I took that photo later <laughs> during the whole uh, craze of Seattle music. You know, there was a lot of bands that, uh, try to follow the formula to, to get a record deal. And they're like, oh, let's do that pose. Not knowing that I was the one that shot it. Um, oh, man. You're yeah, like, no, nah, you can't do that, man. It became pretty funny <laughs> for a minute. And then it then, got you know, 20, 20, 25, years, 25 years later, and those uh, those iconic letters end up at the Mopop. And uh, you've got every... Uh, Pearl Jam fan that visits Seattle taking photos in front of the in front of the same mural. So yeah, well those uh, letters, those letters ended up they were down at the practice room for years, tucked away <laughs> under the stairs. Uh, <laughs> and fuck, I almost I was like, what the hell? They kept getting in the way every time I rearranged shit, and they were just. <laughs> Finally, George came down and got them, uh, and they put them in the archive. Um, thank God um, he did save them. But yeah, man, I mean, um, all this stuff happened really fast. If you kind of look like I was trying to build my career as a photographer, so I was just saying yes to everything. You know, they invited me on tour like right away. I got to go and do uh, the Cal Palace show in San Francisco. Oh, wow. What a great yeah, show. Nirvana, New Year's Eve, Nirvana. Nirvana, yeah, and uh, so you know, I was gonna be Leibowitz shooting the Stones. I mean, I had all these like ideas in my head of like, 
you know, what I was going to do. And I was stoked, man. So I was just like, whatever, wherever this takes me, I'm, I'm going, you know, uh, although I did have kind of these delusions of, you know, I, I kind of like this glamorous life of being on the road on tour with this big rock band and I was going to get all these great shots and, and I show up and the, I swear to God, this is a true story. The, I, I get there. Uh, cause I went and I met them. They had already done a few shows. And the first person I meet is the bus driver who was dirty. Frank. Yeah. Dirty and Frank. That guy was a fucking asshole. He was so grumpy. And, uh, <laughs> So I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to meet the band. He's like, I don't fuck. Ah. He didn't know where the fuck we were. Um, the bus was out in front of the hotel. And so then I kind of like trying to figure shit out. I thought they'd all be hanging out together. You know, I'd hear them in the room. They were all separated. They were all off doing their own thing. And uh, so I meet Eric Johnson, Gunny. And uh, yeah. he took me under his wing right away. He and it, he didn't know I was coming, so he was like, "Oh, okay. Well, you there's no more room, so you have to stay in on the floor." You know, I got the, I got the like rookie treatment right away. Uh, you know. So uh, immediately, your your uh, idea of uh, you know Ritz Carlton, uh, five star hotel, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and being treated with royalty right out the window. Yeah, it was squashed, man. It was totally squashed. But I did get to ride on the tour bus going back to Seattle. Um, but still, again, that's that's sacred territory. So I don't, yeah. I don't uh, overstay my welcome. Um, I was very. What did you? What what camera did you use? What camera did you use for the uh, Pearl Jam Ten cover? Oh, I shot that with uh, my four by five. I so. Wow. I had okay. to use that that's a, that's like a single sheet each yeah, time you take a photo. That's a big large format camera. I shot a bunch of 35. I had just gotten my Nikon F3. Um and so shooting on that. Um, but yeah, I shot the cover and I brought in my own light like lights from school on my own strobes. Uh, mm. But yeah, four by five, and that's just like one sheet at a time, transparency, you know. So, did you keep all the crazy. negatives from that shot? Yeah, uh, Jeff Whitman texted me that question. I was like, oh, I yeah, was, I was... Um, yeah, I... yeah. I don't know where they are now, but I mean, I do know where they're. Just yeah, you guys aren't seeing my archive, but it's kind of. Well, Lance, I'll be I'll be over in two yeah, weeks. Right. We'll hang out. You can come in. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> I have all that. I have all that stuff. I kept. So the whole idea, like as things progressed, was um, Jeff and Kelly. Uh, they we 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 talked about the book. You know, like I'm just going to document all this, and it's for the book. And uh, so I retained all the rights to all the photos. They paid for all. Expenses Which is and, um, you know, I, I I was easy to travel with. Like I said, I kept it very. My whole thing was that I didn't want them to know when I'm, I was taking photographs, unless we were kind of goofing around. But yeah. Um, anyway, I know we're focusing on ten. I will say that um, 
and it kind of gets back to the initial question you asked being in this insular bubble in seattle still you know because things hadn't really broken out yet um i had no idea how fast and how big that album got i really didn't i don't think anybody did i mean they you know the band probably did they were looking at the numbers but um well it was it was a slow roll if you remember at first that, that didn't just shoot out of the gate it it was it took you know for me it was the mtv video right you know i'm, I'm a, a freshman in college at the university of georgia and watching a live and even flow and right it was it was a six month period of zero to a million miles an hour for that band and then they and then in 91 you know they uh you know that so i'm, I'm talking about from the release of the album i'm not talking about from when you were shooting and stuff but from the release of that album in 91 through you know Lollapalooza 92 i mean talk about shot out of a cannon uh that, that really was that band yeah uh, and we're thankful lance we're thankful that you were there to document so much of it and i can you you know you already know uh i have a wall full of your stuff yeah you do and uh i am <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to hang it and i, I when my friends come over, I love showing that stuff to my friends. And yeah, uh, I appreciate you know, that. This, this band, Anthony and I started this show a year ago, almost to the day, out of our love of Pearl Jam. And here we are 30 years later. The band is still around. You're still taking pictures. And I'm just, I'm so grateful you were there to document that stuff. And I'm grateful that I got to know you through, through uh, you know, our friend Jeff Redding and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's real. And I'm so glad to make time for us today on this show, just to shed some light on that time frame. Cause what a literally, what a special period of time it was for music lovers. You can look yeah. at Liverpool in the sixties, the punk scene in the seventies, LA and metal scene in the eighties, Athens, Georgia in the eighties. And then there's us. There's Seattle in the '90s, and you were there, and you're and, and I'm just I'm grateful for you, buddy. I really I, appreciate. I appreciate that, man. I, I mean, I will say like, um, it's real easy to get caught up when you're self-employed, and you probably know this too. Is that uh, you get tired, you know, to hustle. Like, I there's man, I've had to hustle my ass off plenty of times, and then there's these moments. And, and I'm I'm very sincere when I tell people this, uh, where I get people like you or or uh, you know some of the fans that that really like are thankful uh, for whatever I can provide to them. They're providing, you know, they're I'm able to stay doing, getting to do what I love for a living. Um, and I forget you get you know life goes on and and i tend to kind of get on track with other things out and i forget you know there's not a lot of artists uh photographers specifically able to maintain a living off of something like this like i am and i and i am humbled by that frequently um you know i i i mean shit, this is this is gonna sound so petty and ridiculous but you know, it's kind of like a band having a hit song. I have some photographs that are really popular and 
and um, you know, I get tired of printing those because my mind is like, I want to do something new and creative and stuff. Right. So I kind of get burned out on it. But then I'm fucking reminded. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what are you complaining about, man? You got to, you got some photographs that have become iconic and that people want to put on their wall. Like, I got nothing to complain about. You know what I'm saying? And you've got. Speaking of. Uh, uh, you know, we have a lot of fans watching and listening oh, to the show. Yes. Uh, so, so are you still selling stuff? Are they have a way to like, yeah, but I, can they I buy? just posted right before this on my Instagram and I said, listen to the show and I'll give away some prints. Uh, I posted a couple of shots from the, from the 10 session and I was good. I made some eight by tens, uh, which I never sell that size anyway. Um, but you know, I was gonna be—I was gonna be like, be the fifth caller, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you get to win <laughs> on the morning well, show here with Trey and Jeff. Uh, no, uh, I don't know how that could work. I don't know if, if this is live and people are listening. Yeah, yeah. There's we have right now. We have uh, five hundred and forty-seven people tuned in live. Jesus um, Christ. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll throw out a trivia question. Uh, I'll throw out a trivia question. This one is probably really easy, so I'll do it, I'll do a couple questions. If somebody, they comment on what you're... Uh, look at, they can, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, who is the artist hanging in the banner behind Eddie? Uh, the banner that hung in the studio at London Bridge when they were recording. Don't don't answer, Trey. You know who it is. Oh, I know Tim. Okay. Yeah, we can't win nothing. <laughs> I'll send you something. <laughs> Jeff is like, what about? Wait, what? How how did I? What do I mean? That's all right. I get it. Question. Uh, and the other one, Anthony. Anthony's Anthony's Manning the Anthony's Manning the. Uh, the I'm manning answer. the board right now. What I'll do is we're gonna so Lance, what we're gonna do is if you wanna ask if you wanna ask uh two questions and then I'll get the answers through and then I will um as soon as those answers come in, I'll get them over to you. They're like the yeah, address you can simply cool. yeah, Is it Pete is it Pete is it Pete Townsend? Yeah, that's it. And then the All other right, so one Shannon. The other one is not having to do with uh ten necessarily, but it's I mean, a lot of these, you know, it kind of sucks. You can't do this anymore because people can just Google this shit. Uh, <laughs> but um, what punk band was Mike McCready in uh, for one night that opened up for Seven Year Bitch? The name of that band. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. All right. So listen. Those are two questions. All right, so once I get the answers, Lance, I'll get those addresses over to you. Lance, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight, and I appreciate everything you do. Your work is amazing. I love it. Um, it's an honor to talk to you. Um, you, Charles Peterson, and Karen Mason Blair have been on my um, list of people that I wanted. People are trying to call me. Um, the, uh, people I want to interview, so it's an honor to it's, it's, yeah. Don't call me to give me the answer. I've had like seven people try calling me. Uh, yeah, my, my Instagram's blown up, too. Uh, well, listen, I good. Uh, I, listen, Lance, I Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a song. We have another guest waiting in the green room that's going to come on in just a minute. Lance, thank you so much for coming on. See uh, you, buddy. Us up. We're going to have to do a we're going to have to do a full night of, of stories from you at some point. Oh, yeah. Man, I, 
I'm all for that. Let's go ahead. Let's, when the winter time comes and people are like just socked in and they don't want to get off the couch, yeah, we're gonna have you back, Lance, because I have so many questions lined up that I couldn't even get to. Yeah, I, well, I, I should we answer? Long, should we answer this Toronto, Ontario that's called like seven times? Hey man, that's Hold on. that's your call. Let's, send send let's, let's, to my hello. Send, give him my information. Yeah, I, I know I got it. What was it? Caller number five. Who's this? <laughs> Caller number five, he said. <laughs> wait, 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 who, who is this? My name is Dustin. I'm just in the chat right now. Oh, your name is Dustin? Okay, Dustin, how'd you get my number? I think it's delayed, like, on your... <laughs> you looked at my Facebook? All right, Dustin, just send me a text message. I'll get the phone number. Oh, I'll catch you. Listen, that, that's... I, yeah, I, that I, guy I, won. That guy won. Caller that was number five. Uh, Lance. All right, all right, Dustin. We get, we'll get a photo. You text me your address. I'll get it over to Lance. You got a photo. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, bye. That was yeah, buddy. Thanks, man. All right. All right. Let's get into a song and our next guest. Fun. Lance, we'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Be well. All right. Blame Kansas City. Uh, yeah. Hey, listen. What I was at that show, by the way. Dropping the park. I could see, I could see you on the footage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a what a great show that was. Everybody, welcome Jeff Whitman from Napa. How do you pronounce it? Yeah, it's just like country? that. Yeah, we make auto parts okay. down here. Napa, California. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Famous for auto parts. Uh, Very. Jeff Whitman, uh, one of my best buddies. We met through our, uh, this is true, we met through our love of Pearl Jam, but we met through the wine business, 
through some folks that we knew. They're like, oh, man, you got to meet this guy. He's a big Pearl Jam fan. I'm like, no one's a bigger Pearl Jam fan than me. And then I met <laughs> Jeff, and he showed me a pair. Wait, what did I show you? Fan than, than Jeff. <laughs> a pair of Eddie's underwear. Oh, Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. But that was, it was pre eBay too. Yeah. So you know, tough to get. Tough yeah, that's to get. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, digging deep uh, for that. It's awesome to have cheers, you on here. Cheers uh, to you, dude. How cool? How cool is that having? How cool is that having Lance on here? I don't. I don't know what I did in life to get to be the the guest after Lance Mercer, but um, yeah, pretty pretty cool. I get he must have had something to do. It's, it's the same way. It's the same way the concert. You start off really big and then you drop down a little bit. And here's Jeff. Oh you know, shit! Worry, worry, worry about no, okay. I'm just kidding. Okay. Jeff, Jeff is Jeff is one of the all-time greats. Uh, Jeff married Holly and I back in June, um, and uh, he really he, he loves Pearl Jam as much as much as I do. And we've seen a lot of shows together. And uh, I thought just a perfect guest to have on. A, he's got a great personality. B, he looks like a goddamn movie star. Look at that hair. Look at this hair. Uh, I spelled but the I'm story he's been following the band. Done today. Yeah. A lot of I am very jealous. Very jealous. He's been following the band as long as us, if not longer. Uh, and so he's got some great early Pearl Jam. Uh, stories. His first. What was your first show again? Was it Orpheum? So no, my my first show was at uh, um, at a club called Avalon in Boston, and I was a. And I actually had a question before I go into that. You said when this album came out, you were a freshman in college. What were you? Thirty seven years old and a freshman in college. I mean, you're like you, there's dirt, and then there's you in terms of age. Oh, hey, listen. Anthony, back me up on this. this uh, listen, I, I was I, I was I have, I, I, have a, I have a picture of me holding Keith Richards as a baby. Okay, <laughs> I, I was. I bet you did. I was six years old. Six. Yeah, I was six. Like six. Right in right right for in first grade. Wow. Yeah, when this yeah. album came wow. out. So so yeah, you know Trey Trey was forty, going on forty one. Yeah. Uh, but I can't and knock still... him too much because. You know, son of a bitch has got nice hair and, uh, you know, doing real well for himself. And my ass is bald and look like I'm 65. Well, life is not fair, Anthony. I'm working, I'm, it's just I'm working there, buddy. I, uh, yeah, it was uh, summer of 91. And uh, Avalon was the, uh, the place. It was actually, I think, certain nights of the week, it was called City. It's on Lansdowne Street, right behind Fenway Park. And I had to look up the date because... Quite frankly, I, so I was I was about a month and a week away from my twentieth birthday. So I was a I think I was a sophomore in college, and everything for that whole period of time is like to say it's a blur is being kind to blurs, yes. you know. Um, but I had to look it up because the album hadn't dropped yet, and and you, you like every, almost everybody. I mean, I heard a live you know on the radio. I think on um, either WAAF or WBCN, Great Boston rock stations at the time. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it, you know, spoke to me immediately. I mean, as did so much of that music from the period, which is why I still listen to, I can't, I can't listen to new music. I still listen to that. Like I know you listen to more new music than I do and you don't listen to much, you know? So, 
Um, but then I saw them again in April of 92 <laughs> and I was, I was uh, working a service bar in this club right up right, like two doors up the street um, on Lansdowne. I think it's like two doors. Um, and that was at a place called Axis. And uh, they opened for the Lemonheads. And I want to say, or no, oh, no, wow. I think that was the thing. Sorry, yeah, somebody's going to call us out on it. That was the first. That was the first show that they opened for the Lemonheads before Ten had dropped. Uh, and Buffalo Tom, which is cool, because I think they, they they brought out a guy from Buffalo Tom when we were at Fenway Park. Uh, yes, the lead so, singer. Uh, what's yeah. his name? Shit, I don't know. He's been on the show too. I feel bad. <laughs> Anthony, yeah. are, are, didn't you go to school in Boston? Or I'm from, from I, I I lived in Braintree. So I'm a Braintree guy. And if you're familiar okay. with Boston, if you were on the T, you know that there's a Braintree stand, Braintree stop, there's a Braintree yeah, stop, line. last stop. That's it. That's, that's it. Get the fuck off. They want you off. That's it. That's it. I was on the Green Line. I went to I went to Northeastern, so I was you know, ah I was nice. Back Bay. I was yeah. I got I, I got to ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. I'm doing math. I'm doing math here. You said you were tw- you, so you're in your fifties. I turned 50 uh, last Wednesday. How, what the fuck happened with my jeans? I look like I'm 97 years old, and you and Trey look like you're not. You're just maybe in your late 30s. Oh. You know, we're both in the wine business. That's right. Is that so, what it is? Is it connected? It is. Yeah, it has something to do with it. Yeah. Or, or, the, or the tequila business is... Uh, yeah. I'm is, drinking tequila, uh, yeah. Jeff, what true. are you drinking, man? I'm drinking a little, I'll give, it, yeah. give him a plug, even though there are no plugs. I'm, I'm drinking a little Casamigos Reposado. Brought to you by yeah. the fine folks. At- yeah. There we go. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm a little more because, I mean, I could have said, really, like, can you get Lance back and I'll just go back in the waiting room? <laughs> listen to him. I mean. What? Well, I was, you know, we, me and Trey threw this shit together really quickly. Like, we're like, hey, we'll have guests on. And then, like, guests change every so often. And then today it was like. Like we have um, a gentleman coming on in a little bit who was the engine, who was the original engineer for Ten. Um, oh, that's wow. coming on here short in a little bit, and he's going to bring stories back of like working on that album and being an engineer for it. But it's just crazy that there's people out there with these stories <laughs> of like being a part of this album, and you know at that time not realizing what it, how special it was going to be, and then as quickly as it was being produced and putting it together. Like how quickly it changed the lives of so many people, right? Oh, like man. completely. All these people, all these people tuning in right now. The only reason I'm talking to these people, or talking to you, or even no Trey, is because of this album, right? Like the reason I vacation and do these shows is because because of this album. A hundred percent. Yeah, it it, it I, really you know, was I, remarkable. I, I mean, yeah. Like yeah. Good. I was just saying, it, re- it really was remarkable because they're so few events I think at least in, in my life up to September 11th that I could tell people exactly where I was and I remember exactly you know people have that that Kennedy moment where they could tell you exactly where they were I remember where I was when I first heard Alive I was in my friend's car and we were headed out to Watertown Massachusetts and um, I think smoking dope I'm getting I'm, getting, I'm guessing uh, but, um, but we were just like you know, like what was that? What is that who is that? You know, and then you know, you're, and you're three songs in before they tell you. It's like, oh yeah, it was a new one from a band called Pearl Jam out of Seattle. And I was just like, I, you know, I've how how is this happening now? And I remember it. I remember it so well. And I remember, I think I posted on Instagram a year ago now, but I found my cassette 
of 10 mm. because I actually bought it on cassette first because this guy's car, my roommate's car had a cassette player and, and we would listen to it. And then when <laughs> no my, player, yeah. yeah. And then when my, my, uh, my roommate in the, uh, we lived in this big house and uh, some, a couple of my college buddies, I think are on here, uh, Justin from Boston, if you're on here, when, when we lived in the, the house of, uh, regrets, like if you didn't have any regrets, you didn't live there. Um, but, but, uh, we lived in that house and my room, <laughs> my roommate, if those walls could talk, they'd scream. Um, my roommate, uh, Jeremy, believe it or not. And I went to Newberry comics <laughs> on Newberry street. And I think, I think he owes the band some royalties cause I'm 95% sure he stole that CD. Son because of a bitch. Listening to my cassette tape and it's he, just, he did what? But we, I think my friend stole the CD from from Newberry <laughs> Comics, Boston, and like you know, comes out with it like in his pants, and and that thing was on our CD player for a solid year, it, like it was not. Mm. We're not allowed to change. Yeah, that was it. So yeah, big big album, yeah. big big meaning. And somebody said to me the other day, it was another one of my East Coast friends said, "Oh yeah, you know, that's easily the most important and best Pearl Jam album." And I said. Um, historically, I agree. I disagree with the statement because to me, the most important and best Pearl Jam album is the last one, is the most recent one that they released. And I say that every time there's a new release because every you don't time. know when it's going to be the last one. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so 30 I, I, years I, I, later, I, I, since I, I, 10. Yeah. Oh. So 30 yeah. years since 10's come out, and, was, and you're talking about how important to you, how important it was to you at that point. Listening to it, having the CD player, how it you know was incorporated into your life. Thirty years later, how important is that album still to you to this day? Oh man, I mean, so so important to me still. I listen. I probably listen to it more. You know, I always say like Vitology is my favorite album, um, and I think that's a moment in life. Like the things were going pretty good for me at the time. I was living in Santa Barbara. Vitology came out. And I had seen them just recently then i saw him again i think in la at the greek and i was like i was really into pearl jam i mean as i still am but i was so into them then but i think when i go when i listen to 10 just like probably anybody watching or listening it's like it it can take me back to that moment and and it takes you back to like i remember you know the the big song that played at at the uh, at my high school prom in june of 1989 was like a Millie Vanilli song. Like that was good music in 1989. And then, and then Soundgarden and Nirvana. And I saw the, I saw the Chili Peppers at the University of New Hampshire with my friend, Jill Letty. And we were, and we were freshmen in college. Like we drove up from Boston to go see that show. So 1989, you know, uh, obviously this record coming out and, and, and also just to go back and listen to it on vinyl for me is like, it's the best, man. It just having to have turn you, it over and, and you know spin the black circle, man. It's it's wild. So so today, ten came out on Dolby Atmos. It's the first time it's been restored in a Dolby Atmos sound um, since its release. So it's in a unique platform. Um, I actually got to listen to it today in Dolby Atmos, and it was like listening to it for the first time. It was wow. I heard. I mean, it really is pretty impressive. But it just shows you. Um, you know, I don't know. This this album is so it is really special and powerful, and what it can do and how it brings people together. And 
it, it is amazing. Um, it is it is nice to hear all these Boston towns we speak of this evening because uh, yeah. you know it's everyone a, every, everyone talks about Seattle, so it's it's nice to yeah. hear it, it's nice to hear about this. It's well, 100% remember, why uh, Jeff and I know each other. I mean, it, it's it's the, the reason that Jeff and I know each other. Because Jeff was going to exist in his wine world down in Napa, and I was up here in Washington. But it was a mutual friend of ours that knew about our mutual love of this band yeah. that put us together. And yeah. so uh, funny. we met with at Pearl Jam 20. Yeah, we, we like we, we what, literally what we did like email and like telephone dating for a couple of years, I think. Nice. We, we hadn't we hadn't met in person, and then and then when we did, it was so utterly disappointing. No, I'm just kidding. It was so like I, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, found, so I found my brother. Was you know? Jeff was sending me selfies of a different person, and right. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> it was like catfish before catfish. <laughs> That's right. It was weird though. Trey kept swiping but... and coming back to the same picture. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, who would have thought that I would have performed this fraudulent and illegal wedding here in Sonoma? I mean, yeah, there's nothing. Those are not, those yeah. are not real vows. I, I, I literally just I took I took his word that he was actually an ordained minister in California. No. I have no idea if he was or not. I didn't see his license. <laughs> I, I, I didn't ask to see any proof. He just said it was good. I think. So I think. I, I also, hope we are married. I think I also told you I was a race car driver when I first met you. I don't know. <laughs> I told you a lot of things, but you know, it's what you choose to believe, Trey. You, know? you did. You did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Hey, no, well, uh, hey. We, we would be screwed, so man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I, I am very, I'm very grateful for this band for a lot of reasons, and you are for sure one of them, buddy. You're one of the best. Man, right right back at you, man. I think, I think of what my life would be like if I didn't know you. Um, I wouldn't know so many great people, and, and, and that's what this band does, too is like very rarely do you meet someone who's a Pearl Jam fan and they're just an asshole. You know, they, it, that's the commandment, right? Just yes. don't be an asshole. It's like there's there's so, and there are some, and we've seen some at shows, but but all the people that I've been connected to, and whether it's, you know, you and, and our, that great group of people that you are so close with and have introduced me to, or Tim or any of the folks that are connected with the band and, you know, our relationships with them, it's like, it, it's... It's really special, man. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of bands that have that story with their fans that Pearl Jam does, and I think it's and to be able to keep it going for so long and to be able to do such good work for yes. so long and put on so many shows and and the shows are so good. I mean, that Wrigley show, that first Wrigley show, uh, besides being roofied the night before, was uh, was was maybe one of the most epic shows of all time. You know. <laughs> It was, it was. That was the lightning bolt show. Hey, real quick, I know you, Anthony, you ready to move on? I do want to say something real quick. If you okay. guys can see behind Jeff right now, he's got this great photo of Eddie uh, on his wall back there. And uh, Jeff took that picture with uh, from um, from Bottle Rock. Uh, no, was at Ohana. Ohana about three or four years ago. Uh, and uh, if you guys are interested in looking at some of Jeff's photos jeff where can we see those uh e most easily today in your tasting room in in soto but um I'll, my my website will be up i'm a, I'm, I'm such a uh I'm, I'm such a newbie neophyte to you know look up to guys like lance and danny clinch and and these guys who do have done such amazing work for so long um uh i i'm fortunate in what i do uh to get to take some photos like this and I've started to get a little portfolio together. So at some point soon, 
uh, Jeff Whitman Photography, Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F, WhitmanPhotography.com. It, it's actually there. It's just not live because I can't quite figure out how to <laughs> how to get one of the links working. But as soon as it's up. Anthony yeah. can help you with that. Anthony, uh, Anthony we, can we, yeah, yeah, send me a message. I'll take care of it. Hey, so do you have any prints right for on. sale that people can buy? Uh, I do. I do some fine art prints. Um, I've actually got a show in one of our tasting rooms right now. So thank you for asking. Um, yeah, um, you, you can just anyone who is interested, just hit up uh, hit up Trey. Just text Trey because <laughs> everybody yeah, has yeah. your number. Yeah, hit me up. I'll put you. I'll put you in touch with Jeff. Yeah, Happy perfect. Team. Thank yeah, you so thank much you, buddy. for that. All right, we got to roll on. We got we got yeah, another we, video got, to show. We got yeah. another guest about to jump Yes, in. Okay. in the waiting room. What we're gonna do is uh, first of all, nice to meet you, Jeff. We'll uh, talk soon. I want to hear more stories. We have a, our next guest in the waiting room. I can see his face. What we're going to do is we're going to play another song and then go right into uh, right into him and hear about the uh, the days of recording 10. So, guys, all stay right. tuned. And here is another song from the album we all love. love.
And we're back, and this time with another guest, and I'm really excited about this. I have David Dave Hillis, who worked on the album 10, who I stalked online, sent him a message. We had a conversation. I said, hey, <laughs> I have this show. We drink wine. We talk about Pearl Jam, but I would love to know about your experience uh, working on the album. So, Dave, thank you so much for taking time to come talk to myself and Trey. Um, how, well, first, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Lots is it crazy? Dave, it's great. It's great. It's great. Great, great to meet you, Dave. I, I love all the uh, records behind you back there. But, we, you know, we have a mutual friend. Uh, Raj huh. Parishar is uh, uh, a friend of mine that I met, of all things, through the wine business. Yeah, and so I don't know if, if you tracked Raj after he left London Bridge. but Oh, yeah. He's very up, close, so. Yeah, he bought a vineyard in Eastern Washington, yeah, and I've been out there many from times from a few years. Yeah. And so he's just an absolutely amazing guy. He built my tasting room out for me, redid my floors in my tasting room, built my tasting room bar. Oh yeah, it just sounds like a rock. The biggest, <laughs> biggest sweetheart, biggest sweetheart of a guy you'll ever yeah. meet. Yeah. Uh, great to meet yeah, you, Dave. Yeah, great to meet you as well. Dave, so today being the 30th anniversary of this album that you had the uh, the opportunity to work on back 30 years ago, when you think of this album as a whole, what does it mean to you as someone who worked on it? You know, uh, gosh, being so close to it, I I, I just have such a, a probably a, a different, uh, you know, relationship with it, I guess, and a lot of people. And it wasn't until years later that I really uh, even started to digest the fact of how big of a success it was. Um, a lot of what was different for me, too, is that, you know, I was I was a struggling musician, too. I was trying to make it in the industry as well as an artist, you know. Um, and so, and, and that we all came from the same background there and all like in the same rehearsal rooms and same parties and same friends and things like that, that, uh, and, and so caught up just working and in that bit in the business itself that like really like years later, especially being in Seattle, um, I didn't really, I don't know. It just wasn't, re didn't really set in because more when I started working outside of, uh, you know, Seattle or even outside the country where I realized, wow, this is like way bigger thing than I thought. I mean, I remember not even putting it on my my discography uh, for a while. You know, I didn't even like think it was like, that big of a deal. You know, so now I have a whole different way of looking, looking back on it and, and interpreting it now, um, especially since things have changed so much in record making. And the technology and the way things are done, like I look back on that record now and realize, wow, we were really doing, we were really practicing the art of making records. And how good, specifically with them, how good of a band they were. You know, it just kind of took it all for granted. Uh, how like, like late focused and determined and, uh, uh, you know, just so into the music almost as you as people kind of discuss sometimes it's like that you know they just really lived it and you know honestly working with so many newer bands and decades later i'm like you know i'll get a lot of times people be like well you know you did pearl jam how come it's not like that and you just, you know, like, 
Because <laughs> you're not. Because you're not Pearl Jam. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a different way of making records then. You know, we had no Pro Tools, no nothing. You know, it was, uh, you had to play those parts, you know, and get them right. You know, there's a limited oh, Dave. fixing things with you know, editing, but not much. Not like today. Last last weekend, um, I was in London Bridge with um, Eric, who's one of the new owners uh, of yeah. London Bridge as of a few years ago. And what a great guy he is. Uh, he's been on the show several times with Anthony. We tried to get him on tonight. He may jump on at the end, but I have no idea. But, uh, what, you know, I've been in that studio three or four times now. And I, first of all, I love recording studios. I've been to Arden and, and Memphis, Sun, Stax, Royal, Muscle, Muscle Shoals, uh, Fame. I've been up in Detroit. I love walking into music studios because there's a feeling you get uh, as an energy, and it, it has to do with the artists that have walked through the doors. And this past Saturday, I took my friend from Memphis, Tony Bounds, who was in town, and my wife, Holly, we got to go up there and walk through London Bridge again. And, you know, that, that knee board is still there. And obviously, there's some cool new Pro Tools shit and all that stuff. But that original knee board is there. The room is the room, right? You can't change the sound of that room. And it's the way that Raj... Were you there when Rick and Raj built that place out, by the way? I, I'd been in the studio like right after they built it. Uh... I wasn't working there yet. I'd been there for like a, well, we were looking for, my band at the time, we were looking for places to record. And um, I'd been to like a Queensryche uh, autograph party there. Like different, yeah, before I got there. And then I actually did a demo there. And that's what um, kind of got me, uh, ended up being how I ended up working there. I, I love that um, Eric was, relaying some stories about how you know raj i mean he built that place from the ground up i mean it's it's in the back of a industrial looking building north of seattle you drive by it a thousand times and have no idea it's back there and you drive he started in the back actually as a tape he was just uh, duplicating tapes that's how he like kind of started it and then one thing led to another and then you know how raj he, he knew raj yes he's gotta, he's gotta make it bigger and better so yeah, yeah. So when you were recording 10 uh, and, and the band came in to record that, start to finish, was this a one month? Was this a three month? How long did this process last? Um, well, now they had been, you know, they'd already done Temple and they've already, you know, and uh, Stone and Jeff had done Love Bone there, with, uh, you know, outside producers and stuff like that. So they were familiar with the place. Um, and, you know, honestly, there's no other studio in town that had a need in a room like that and the scooter tape machine. Um, just those are your meat and potatoes of making a great record at the time. Um, so, and them not really wanting to deal with LA or go to LA and being able to have that in their backyard like that, it was, it was making a lot of sense to do it there. But um, yeah, I mean, when they came in, so it was, Stone, if I remember the whole story right, uh, and I was around, I, you know, I'd see Stone all the time. Like I said, we were at the same parties, the same friends and all that. So I kind of saw this all going on. Um, and I know that he went to Reciprocal 
um, recording and I'd done a couple writing things just with him. And I think he had maybe Chris Friel, maybe Matt, Matt came and played some drum stuff on it. Um, and then they ended up coming to London Bridge. And we, if I remember, we did two different month long demos, if I remember right. So, which is interesting because if you think about it, you know, like a band now getting a month in the studio is like, that's a lot of time. No, nobody does it. A lot of time. So, you know, but, you know, then if you had a label that was, you know, finance demos, you know, that wasn't such a big, that was, and to me, that's what makes a lot of things different now. We don't have the time in studios like we did um, then. Uh, if you got lucky enough to have a label believe in you and give you that kind of money. But so we had those where they were, you know, really putting the songs together more so than like say playing live or rehearsals because, you know, they, the band was more formed, you know, because of coming out of Love Bone. It wasn't really a band formed say on the road or playing the clubs necessarily. So they had to kind of play catch up with that. It seemed like, but uh, so we did that and then we started the record. I'm thinking the record was, uh, somewhere maybe five weeks, four to six. I can't quite remember. Right. Okay. Something like that. Maybe four, maybe But like four. almost almost every day? I mean, are you in oh, there yeah. like seven? Oh, yeah. Okay. It was, um, yeah, it was really, uh, I mean, it was just work. Like there was no, you know, people say, hey, was any crazy story? And like, there's, there's no, it's all kind of boring because like it was just work. They like, you know. You were doing your job. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Stone bike ride in some days and like, it, it was just very, uh, just they came and they played, you know, whether it was 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, we were playing all till, you know, two, two o'clock in the morning, whatever, just all day trying to get the right takes is what the whole first part of the record was, was about getting the take. We had such a huge, a giant stack of two inch tape, like their tape budget was huge because they wanted to get the take. And we kept so right. many takes that a lot of it ended up being listening. A lot of time we spent was listening back to finding those right takes out of all the all the different versions. So that was a process there. And then, you know, um, but it was a no frills record, you know, it was uh, not studio, studio wizardry or anything. It was just, you know, moved on to solos, moved on to a few fixes, and just getting the vocals. And Army. And you were, and, and, and that album was recorded. It was by track. It wasn't. Uh, it was not a live studio. No, it was, um, no. We, no, they were. No, the basics were. Uh, it was generally a live record, and then we overdubbed. You know, so if there was gotcha. you know, guitar solo overdubs, and uh, you know, maybe if we added an extra guitar track or a clean part over the dirty part or something like that, it was you know overdubbed, but. Your basics, they were trying to get everything as live, and it was all about feel. Like, the whole thing was like getting that tr the take that felt good and really yeah. like sticklers about it. Like, I did, I did read that even flow, they had like 60 or 70 tr takes. Oh, that was all. I, I mean, I particularly remember that because that was literally an all. Well, I don't know if you heard the story, I've done an interview with this, with this story before, but. That um, that song was going all day, and I remember Rick, the producer, he was, uh, you know, he was like, you know, going home, you know, keep the tape rolling, you know, get a take, let me know how it goes, see you in the morning. I'm like, all right, so we're going all day, all day, and it's got to be like, you know, two in the morning or something, and 
I hear it. just changing reels, making new takes, starring the ones I thought were, you know, Rick should probably hear tomorrow and we'll go over them. That's kind of the, the uh, work progress there. And, um, but so at the end of the night, I'm, I hear this uh, sound. I'm just in the control room by myself, you know, and they're out there playing. And I hear this sound, which is the sound of the tape running out. Oh, shit. And spinning, you know. With the, so I go, oh, man. Okay. And I go, well, they've done it a thousand times. They're going to do another one, you know, because there's no way. And all of a sudden, you know, it ends, and I hear this. That's it. You know, that's the one. And I'm just like, holy oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, you know, so I just, they're, they're starting to walk in and come in to hear it and stuff. And I'm like, hey, guys, go, you know, um, chill in the in the lobby for a second. Let me just get a mix up. Let me just, you know, da-da-da. So uh, I um, grabbed the, the real where I had a star in one of the takes and just quickly sliced while I'm staring out the window, sliced the end on another take and, <laughs> and put it on. And then they're coming in. We could, uh, sure. And then, so I, I had it cranked really loud. They're in there and I was standing by the tape machine because you can sometimes, if you're playing it low, you can hear the edit go by as the splicing tape will go by the heads and they'll go. And I didn't want them to see it or hear it. And, um, and so I'm um, so, Luckily, like it goes by and it ends, and they're like, "Yeah, great, all right." And that was the end of the night. <laughs> and then I just didn't say anything about it, you know. And I remember, like weeks later, like we're me and Rick are in the control room, we're working, and uh, and um, he notices and he goes, "Did we we edit that track?" I go, "Yeah, don't you, yeah, remember we edited that one, you know?" Yeah, man. Oh. <laughs> moved on. Yeah. So that one, you know, I never told really. That was just the, I got, that was one I just got away with. But there was times, other times too, when I'd be editing and I'd forget, there were so many reels, I'd forget, I'd have one here, one here, one here. And then I just, you know, I'd start facing or something or it was late. And I'm like, oh my God, where am I? Which one? And I'd be calling Rick going, dude, I'm sorry. I don't know where I'm at. Ah! Thinking I'm going to get, you know, yelled at or fired or something. Well, I think, I think the band still has every single, recording of those tapes in the in the vault i mean i've watched yeah I've we used to, the they vault. were at the studio for a long time i remember them all of a sudden going hey where are the tapes and we're like yeah here. Now, they, the I band the them. band took those back to their to their vault yeah. it's, and it's in there too i've seen them, man it's like it's it's three shelves yeah there's time we had that window That's if you've it. been in london bridge the window from the control room out to the you can kind of see into the lobby that you couldn't see yeah. it was just all tapes Mm. Yeah. Oh man, Dave. When you look back, well, what a, when you look, they were adamant about getting the right take, man. They they were that was their thing. Dave, when you look back and at who, who was the perfectionist? Was it Eddie or was it uh, was it Stone? Was it Jeff? Were they all were they all looking know, at that to be like it was, the right one? Stone and Jeff were the you know those the those were the heart of the band then you know, but they were the most experienced. You know, those are the two guys. They'd already made records. You know. They knew. Right. And already made Mother Love Bone. Yeah, right they've there, been, so. I mean, they've been around. They've done records, whether it was Andy or me. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, they knew what they were doing. They had a vision for sure. Um, were you there for Temple? Were you there for Temple the Dog? What's that? Were you there for Temple the I Dog? I came in when Rick was mixing it. 
And that's when I started like officially kind of working for Rick. Yeah. Okay. When you look back at this album and everything you've done, how important is this album in your career compared to everything else? Uh, well, it's definitely the biggest record. I mean, the Alice, the Alice in Chains, stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I tell you, like for a while in, in the beginning, it, was, it didn't mean any. I mean, it didn't help me get a job or anything. I couldn't get hit by a bus, really. <laughs> um, later on, you know, it's it's definitely a door opener, I'd say, you know, or you get some like people might take it kind of seriously, but, um, you know, didn't like. I mean, it definitely, if I didn't have it, I don't think I could have gotten into some things I did, or just it gave me some uh, credibility, let's put it that way. So, right. no, I mean, no, it's, it's you know, I mean, it's it's cool to be part of a record that's considered a classic now and stuff like that. So, uh, now I did see while start, while uh, looking on your Instagram, you have a piece of history that was a part of Ten that you have restored. Is that correct? I uh, referring to the drum head or the or what? Uh, there, isn't there a piece of equipment that was using the recording oh, yeah. process? Well, yeah, I have a that's a little little thing, um, eight hundred fifty pound little thing. Uh, no, I have the <laughs> so, so um, the original recorder, the Studer A eight hundred tape machine that well all the records that were done at London Bridge were recorded onto. Um, after Raj had sold the studio, uh, he he. Uh, kept the uh, tape machine um, just for archiving and, and different reasons like that. And uh, so, what, about three years ago, four years ago, uh, you know, we were talking. I go, hey, what's up with the machine? And he goes, I don't know, it's sitting in my garage, you know. And I'm like, man, I should, I should buy it off you. you and it's a kind of jokingly, really. I didn't really think anything of it. And he called me a couple days later. He goes, you know, I was talking to my parents and uh, – you think you should have it you know if you, wow. you want to come get it wow you can have it you deserve it you know you're a part of it all and, da, da, da. and i was like really moved by that so so i got a truck and got it and um yeah so i re it's been uh god it's been difficult uh just because there's not a lot of people that work on those machines left anymore and uh but yeah i finally have it completely restored all tracks are working and uh, that's pretty cool. And so, um, yeah. that's amazing. That's, yeah, that's kind of cool. Man. Are you, Dave? Are you still? Are you still? No, I moved to Pittsburgh uh, four and a half years ago. My wife's from out here. And, uh, I had um, my mother had passed away, different things, and it was just kind of like time to kind of move to the northwest. Or I wanted to try. It was just time to do something different, and ended up coming out here and start. It, it was, it's been great meeting new people with the right studios. Um, kind of been lucky being in the right scenes and places at the right time, like Seattle, LA, or whatever. I've been lucky being going there at the right times, and so yeah, it's been kind of a nice little new um, shot in the arm for what I'm, you know, career-wise. And people out here they seem to really appreciate uh, the novelty of coming from Seattle and having all this history. So. What else have you worked on in your career that's uh, that we that we would know about? Well, let's see. I, um, the ones that are recognizable. I, I did uh, I did a lot of work with Greg Dooley and the Afghan Wigs and some of 
Oh, he's he's one of my all time favorite artists. I love Greg so much, and that band is amazing. Yeah, cool. They are fantastic. I worked on uh, 1965 um, record, and then I um, co-produced with them and engineered the uh, was Twilight Singers, his side project. Oh, so Twilight Singers, all time top five band. Yeah, yeah, did fucking Sean Rex Smith. We had Mark Flanagan oh. on that. That was fun. That was a good one. Yeah, 65 was a fun one we did in New Orleans. That was, oh my God, a month in New Orleans with Greg Dooley. If you can survive that, you can survive it. Yeah, he, he loves that town. And, uh, uh, you know, Greg has a history for sure with his yeah, We also, and, we also no, did a project together where we produced, uh, he produced uh, Dennis Leary's, um, one of his comic records, which in, at Electric Lady in New York. And now that was... That was a cool project, a different type of project, but really fun. Um, and then I did uh, some stuff in England. I did James Blunt. That was a huge, huge thing. Wow. Thing. Um, geez, some various other stuff. I don't, you know. Uh, Damn, you've been, you've been uh, everywhere. Yeah, I've been, yeah, just, you know, lots of bands in between. When you, awesome. when, when you were when you were working with uh, Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs, were you uh, working in L.A. or were you? I know you went to New Orleans for that one album for the. For, we did. Nineteen sixty-five was done in New Orleans, and then we did one yeah. song up in London Bridge that was just me and him. Oh, okay. That was uh, uh what's it called? Uh, Come on, little rabbit, show me what you got. Yeah. It was a single off nineteen sixty-five. We did that at London Bridge. The rest of the record was done in New Orleans, okay. um, and then the Twilight Singers we did all down in L.A. And uh, the guys from Blind Melon, they had a studio, uh, Christopher and Brad from Blind Melon. And Blind Blind Melon worked out of London Bridge as well. Were you there when Blind I Melon? I was. I didn't work on that record. That was John, but I became really good friends with all of them and did some stuff. Yeah. What a, have you seen the documentary yet that um, that Danny Clinch I've seen all kinds of clips and stuff, but I was I was really uh, pretty tight with Shannon and, and Christopher and Brad all, and Rogers, all of them. I did, Rogers played on some things for me. Uh, other projects I did, I hired him at do some stuff. Uh, me and Brad did stuff together, and then, like I said, I worked in the studio a number of times. And when I was living in LA, I'd take work over there because you know I knew them and they had a great place. Uh, Shannon, me and Shannon did stuff back on the ADATs and messing around. And um, what a what an amazing life you've lived, Dave. It's all this, all the people you've met, all the the music you've had, a, you made an impact on the world through the work you've done with yeah, the artists and bands. It's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, the whole the whole time I was just trying to make my own band happen, but everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, through 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 other channels, you know, your 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 name may not roll off the tongues uh, when you hear the Twilight Singers or the Afghan Wigs or Pearl Jam Ten, but no, I've been lucky. Just yeah. this, but just through this 15, 20 minutes. We realize what an impact you've had on us because I love all those bands and that that stuff wouldn't be possible without your help on that. That's, that's I appreciate I'm super appreciative, man. I appreciate well, it. I, have one, I, have, I have one question. You said you worked with Brad, correct? Brad Smith? No, 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 no. Or the band Brad. No, yeah, I was I was referring with... to Brad from from Blind Melon. Although I did work with Sean a number of yeah, times. Yeah, Sean. Sean's amazing. Yeah, I did some. That's what I want to ask about. Yeah, I worked I on some. Like, I, sorry, um, I, not, not to cut you. I mean, there's got to be the layer or something because I feel like I'm cutting off everybody. But 
with Sean Smith, the story I've heard from a lot of people that work with him was that like he was an intoxicating singer and people got lost into him performing, especially in the studio. Was that something that you can attest to? Yeah. I, well, Sean's funny in the studio uh, because when, well, I mean, he knew exactly what he wanted. He like, he had his thing, he knew what he, you know, what he wanted. And he very, another guy, very focused on his stuff. But it was funny when with him singing, he was so shy to sing. Like he would, he would have to build these big walls and tents around him and cover him because you couldn't look at him. You couldn't see him. You didn't wow. want him. Yeah. Like, painfully shy. Painfully shy, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, listen, yeah, I liked working with Sean a lot. So, well, listen, Dave, I miss, first I of miss all, that guy so much. Um, yeah, yeah, amazing singer. Unfortunately, you know, I never got. I mean, amazing singer and, and left a huge impact on the world of music. Um, Dave, guy. first of all, thank you so much for coming on um, and let, and talking to me today and, and, and doing this and being a part of a history of, of this album and this impact that it has on this community that's all tuning in. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, Dave, I, I really feel like this is another one where I feel like we're going to have to have you on again and dig deep into more than 15 or 20 minutes of your uh your story because i feel like there's we're missing so much and we can learn so much from you so um maybe we'll have we, we will not maybe we'll definitely have to have you on again yeah sounds just, great uh, right, to dig you in well all right well, we're gonna go back for me on thanks for thinking of me it's no nice problem. to meet you dave it really is i look forward to meeting you in person one day all right thanks guys all right, all right let's go into another song from 10 and then we're supposed to be having another guest or two or three and here's another song from 10.
Well, what a night so far. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, first of all, what a, what a lineup of guests. I mean, Lance, Jeff, Dave, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost too much to comprehend. The fact that we're even able to talk to someone like Lance and Dave, you know what I mean? It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and have them share their stories with us and uh, with, the, with the fans that are watching and listening. Um, it, it's just incredible because they have a, a different insight into the music and the band that we love so much. And, you know, we, we hear the final product. They're there on the, on the backside of it, seeing this stuff happen in real time. And to hear the stories from both of them is uh, remarkable. And, um, you know, it's a jump back in history, and it's great. And I'm glad we had the show to be able to share that stuff with folks. That's great. Well, I think we have our next guest, but he's audio only, if I'm correct. Paul, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Crystal clear. So, awesome. um, Trey, let me introduce you to Paul Work. Paul has been a friend of mine, God, for about 100 years. Um we were in a, a quite a few bands together uh, back in the early 2000s, and um, he is my go-to guy for uh, going to see Pearl Jam. Is this Jam the boy band? Was this the boy band you were talking about? You that were in. Correct. Me and Paul were in a boy band called um, Enterprise. I remember that. And uh, we we yeah. didn't wear that. That's when we were much skinnier. We didn't wear shirts. A lot of people were uh, were, were fans of us. Nowadays, we keep our shirts on. Isn't that correct, Paul? They were called, they, I believe you were called Out of Sync. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think any of that's right, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you were on drugs then. Fine, you don't remember. Yeah. Okay. The reason I'm having Paul on here is so um, I always enjoyed Pearl Jam. And, you know, I, I really attest that to um, my dad's ex-girlfriend, which is a funny story. But I was hoping to have her on here, but that didn't work out. Um but because uh, that would have been great, but she wouldn't. I, she didn't come on anyway. But you know, in two thousand four, after moving down from Boston to uh, Stanton, Virginia, um, you know, I met Paul, and we became friends through music. And you know, being in bands and us connecting um, as friends, Pearl Jam has been probably the, the 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 I guess the glue that's really kept our friendship together because. Even if we don't talk for a long period of time, it's, you know, this is something we go back to. And we always, you know, I, I visited him in Phoenix when he was living there. We saw Pearl Jam together. Um, we've seen Pearl Jam in Philadelphia together. I mean, all over, up and down the East Coast. Um, and, you know, one thing I never asked him, and, I, and this is why I asked him to come on, is I really want to know to him, you know, someone that Pearl Jam has been a big part of his life for his whole time. Paul, when you hear the words Pearl Jam, and think of it as retrospective, what it means to you as, as a person. What does Pearl Jam mean to you as a fan? Mm. Oh, it means something different now, of course, than it did like when I heard 10 for the first time or whatever. Like Back then, it would have just been probably something like a new band or whatever I was excited about. I was like, oh, these guys are pretty cool and everything. And then it just grows and snowballs from there because they've been around for so long now. Um, now it's more like, you know, this big community, this whole family that we have, and you see all your friends at the shows and you're excited to, 
see everybody because it's been so long now and uh you just it's more about the communal experience than the, the band almost now um but i mean they are what brings us together the music is what brings everybody there um they have such a catalog now of so many different songs and so many different feelings for everybody to get into um that there's something for everybody with this band there's not just one kind of sound it's so many different things that they have going for them now they've done they've evolved so much and done so much in uh 30 years it's amazing really um i mean they they mean so many things to so many people but i think uh for me it just means uh the community that they've built that is built around them uh of the fans um and how they've kept them going for so long and they've kept us going for so long so this means i guess that's what it means so That's I, was awesome. waiting, I don't know. I don't know. I always feel like Trey's gonna ask a question and then I'm gonna talk over him. So I, I, I don't know. That was a day there, but you know, Paul, I know you've been a fan for a very long time and you've seen him quite a bunch and you've seen him everywhere. And I, and you made a great point about what commu- the the idea of the community and what Pearl Jam has brought us all together and how community is important. Um, you know, I know that you're gonna be at See Her Now Festival um, and you're gonna be at Shorestock, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well performing and stuff but what does it mean to you um because you were at um the last show like i was in boston so was trey to you know it's been three years right it's been three years since we've seen this band how important is it for you to see them live um especially coming up on a three on a three-year hiatus well it's that catharsis that we've been missing you know it's just this emotional quote unquote, you know, it's going to be a release for everybody. It's just going to be this big sigh. This big sigh. It's going to be like, ah, this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah. That's a great, great answer. Yeah. I mean, it's healing through the music, you know, we've, we've been missing it and we've needed it more now than ever. I think with everything that's been going on over the last couple of years. Um, and I know there's still a lot of stuff going on out there that we should be concerned about and vigilant about, but um, I think we still need what's coming. So I, th- I think we need to forge ahead and be as careful as we can, but uh, we've got stuff to look forward to, to which is great. So, Well, and if anyone doesn't know, Paul Wirt, um, he performed uh, not, uh, not only with me, I mean, that's important, but he's, but he performed uh, at uh, rocking for a cure uh, back in April, um, and I was it was an amazing thing, and I really appreciate you doing that uh, for me, uh, and 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 the and raising money for Parkinson's disease that was really important. And and Paul is going to be playing at Shorestock, which is going to be the night before See Her Now Festival um, at, at at and we're going to be perfor- and the event Shorestock, which is going to have Paul Wirt, uh musicians that went through the Project Matters program, um, which we're raising money for, that gives um, instruments and music lessons to kids. They don't have the opportunity to uh, have the money to purchase those things. That's what we're raising money for. The U.S. Americans and some surprise guests will be playing at the Saint uh, starting at 5 o'clock and all the way through the evening. Paul's going to be playing there. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, Paul, before we let you go, I, I just want to say this, um, especially in it like this. You know, um, we've been friends for a long-ass time. And, uh, you know, Pearl Jam has been there for a lot of it, but I really do appreciate you and your, uh, what you've done for the community, because I know you've done a lot, uh, especially not just for me, but from other people. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you perform uh, in a few weeks and uh, getting to hang out with you again, buddy. 
Yeah, man, it's been been a while. Looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be good to play out again and hope to see everybody there in New Jersey. Stay safe. Paul, I hope, to, I hope to get to meet you one day. Yeah, are you going to be there? You know, unfortunately, um, we're not going to be to see here now. Um, we're going to – we're hopefully going to make it down. Well, we have tickets to Ohana Encore. Okay. We can at uh, Dana Point. Um, and uh, we're still keeping our fingers crossed that that's going to happen. So. Yeah, hopefully you guys will be able to enjoy that. So. I hope so. But, yeah. but regardless, we'll meet, we'll meet one day. I know it. Oh, it's it's on the books. Yeah, we'll, we'll meet for sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks well, for having me, guys. Definitely, Paul. All right, so we're going to go into another song from 10. Then me and Trey are going to come on the back end. We've invited some guests. If they come or not, I have no idea. Um, we're just going through a Rolodex of people. But here is another song from the album we all love.
right. Now, first of all, that was amazing. Man, oh, man. Second of all, now I need to know hey, one thing. Yeah, for me, if you want, if you want to invite, if you want to invite Tony Bounds on, you gotta send me that link so I can forward to him. I can. I'll send it to you right now. So I will. While uh, while I'm doing that, why don't you tell me when you think of the album yeah. Ten, what it means to you? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, what a broad question, right? Uh, it's an album that changed my life. Uh, I, I had a wine, we did a wine club event last night, uh, which I do once a month on Zoom with our wine club members. And we break down a vineyard, a wine that we make. We bring a chef on that has paired a, uh, paired a dish to go with a wine. But I always finish it off with an album. And last night, and, and, you know, we make this calendar out in advance. And so uh, in uh, January, I had said that it was going to be Van Halen one for this show. And when you and I were planning this show, I, you know, made a game day decision. And I changed last night's album from Van Halen one to Pearl Jam 10 because I wanted to talk about it a little bit before you and I had this show tonight. And I just told the folks that were on our Zoom call last night that this album was, this album really truly changed my life. If this band hadn't come along, and I was going to school in Athens, Georgia, University of Georgia, I was a, a sophomore. It was 1992, the spring of 92. And I had, you know, was four or five months into listening to this album and they came through and played in Athens and I saw that show and this show was cut short. Eddie's voice was terrible. He, you know, he had been probably had played, you know, 20 nights in a row or something. I mean, really hard to sing these songs like he does. And um, uh, they ended up playing maybe five or six songs before they had to cut it short. But Listening to those songs live after listening to it on my CD for the past five or six months uh, in a row um, affected me so much that essentially two weeks later, I called my mom and dad. I dropped out of school, packed up my car, and I moved to Seattle. And had that show never happened and had this band never happened, I can guarantee you I'd still be living in Atlanta or... You know, all my friends live there. My family lives there. I had nothing to complain about while I was living there. I, I loved living in Atlanta at the time. I loved going to school in Athens and everything I knew was there. But that's how much the music spoke to me. And I felt like I had to be there for what was going to be happening and what was happening, you know, live. Uh, and... Um, you know, I never would have gotten into the wine business. Uh, I never would have met Holly, although I like to say that I would have found her in uh, a second life or a third life or a fifth life or whatever. But, you know, it's all those little decisions that you make in your life, you know, the butterfly effect, right? And the butterfly effect that Pearl Jam's had on me has been immense. And uh, this album is, is everything to me. And so... Um, 
you know, it's yeah, it was it was it was truly the game changer for me. So uh, I, I'll never have a bad thing to say about this album. It it's stands the test of time. Thirty years later, uh, it um, you know it, when Jeff made the point that you know what's your favorite album, what's whatever the last album was that was released, or what's the most meaningful album, and and they all have been meaningful albums. I've never listened to a Pearl Jam album and walked away feeling disappointed, but I'll always go back to ten because those songs from start to finish. Not only do they tell a story, um, but, you know, they're responsible for hundreds of friendships I've made over the past 30 years. And I just sent you a photo of my friend Tony found. Well, let me pull that up. Up. Uh, oh, where'd he go? Well, Trey left the room. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, while Trey is coming back in, I don't know if we hit a button or uh, something happened. Um, Trey was talking about this photo he had with uh, Tony Bounds. I have it here. I'm going to pull that up. Um, here is the photo he talked with uh, about with Tony. Um, as Trey tries to get back into the room, this is Trey and Tony. Um, here's I dropped uh, I think... out. Sorry about that. This photo. No, no, no. From, I... Yeah. This photo of Anthony and I, we met. This is the nope. day we met. This is Wrigley 2013. And we met because I was a Pearl Jam fan. Tony's a Pearl Jam fan. He's in the wine business. I'm in the wine business. We had people that knew each other, that knew us, that, that connected us, right? The same way I met Jeff, who we talked to earlier tonight. So some of my best friends, a lot of my best friends I know because this band so that that right there says it all that's awesome and that you know, does my wife i mean i ended up meeting holly it, it, you know it might have been like seven or eight butterfly effects down the road but it never would have happened had i not moved to seattle in the first place and, and i never would have moved there without this band so um, well I, you know I'll, what i'll ask the same let's ask the same question for you well, I'm, I'm, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to go to play a song. When we come back, we have another special guest that's waiting in the wings. I right. see a blank video. We're going to get that worked out in a minute. But um, let's talk to the gentleman you just spoke about here in a minute. But first, let's listen to Oceans. One, two...
Just fine. Can you hear me? I can hear you, buddy. And What's now, up? Tony Bounce. <laughs> What's going and, on, guys? And before we even get going, Tony, I, I know that I'm supposed to be mailing you a T-shirt. It's coming. No, that's fine, man. Whatever. No rush. No rush. No, it, it, you know. I, I listen. I have the craziest schedule right now. It is absolutely insane. Um, man, so hear, I've enjoyed. I hear you got a good soccer player in the family over there. Insane soccer player. So tomorrow, pay for Anthony's new house. I want nothing. Tomorrow he plays his first game for this professional club, um, and I don't know who's more nervous. I, me, or my kid. Like I, I'm like terrified for him. How old because, is? Because like it's he's 11. Wow. And he's Man. so tomorrow and tomorrow he's playing on the U14 team. So he's play, I mean he's played up his whole life, but now he's playing like. Three years up, but the kid, I mean, I'm six five, my wife's six, almost six foot. Yeah, he's pretty damn tall. I mean, I don't know, craziness, but That's listen, great man, good luck to him. Hope he does great. Well, I, 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 I'm hoping so. Um, especially for moving here in two years. But Tony, let me, you know, the one cool thing, first of all, you've been watching us since episode one, you've been on almost every episode, and I really Love appreciate it, man. That. I look every month, look forward to it. Great show, great show. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. It's mostly Trey. It's not me. Um, not true. But not true. That is not, not true. true. <laughs> but Tony, you know, the one cool thing is, you know, me and Trey have talked about you in the past um, and, and the story of how you guys met and how how awesome it is, how this band, you know, like mine and Paul's story or even Trey and Jeff's story, how this band brought us together and created this lifelong friendship. And my question to you is, you know, when you think of Pearl Jam, and especially your friendship with Trey, which I know is very special to both of you, you know, how important is the music that has basically brought you this friendship? I mean, the music is what it's it's what it all revolves around. If it wasn't for the music, we wouldn't even know each other, wouldn't even be friends. I mean, I'm in the wine business, don't even sell his wine. And this friend of ours, Chris Shermer and James Perry is like, man, you need to meet this guy. Trey, y'all have the same music. Y'all like the same band just as much as y'all are two diehards and y'all need to meet. And then I go to Wrigley Field, uh, the Lightning 2013 show, and we're texting through Facebook or whatever. And I was like, man, I don't even know what you look like. And he's like, I'm wearing a drop in the park shirt. I'm around eighth row on Jeff's side. My wife and I were about 
12th row, same area. And that's where that picture earlier came from. And ever since then, this man has just been just great friends. But it all revolves around this band. I mean, this band, I mean, then we went to Wrigley 2016 together. Oh. Uh, I mean, I've been to 35 shows, but I've been to at least the two Wrigley's with Trey and maybe another yeah. one or two. But, uh, but it's let, all let, about let, the let, band and the music. And then last weekend, being at London Bridge, last weekend I went to Wine Country, Seattle, a boat party, and <laughs> you, remember, you remember that boat party, Tony? You don't remember I, I, any of that. I went to many. I went had a seven day trip in wine country, but the highlight of my trip was being at the London Bridges London Bridge Studio with Trey and Holly and his buddy showing us around the studio. It was just like being on hollow ground. It was just so cool. I mean, it was it was the it was the best. Just incredible, incredible. Anthony, you'll You'll appreciate this. When we went in to go see Eric, um, you know, uh, and when you come out to Seattle, Anthony, I'll make sure we, we get a tour up there. Uh, well, I've been, I've been, I've been alone. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Eric sits down, Eric sits down at the piano. Oh man. That, that black was, you know, the piano part for black was played there, but mother love bone, Chloe dancer, right? Yeah. So he sits down and he starts playing Chloe Dancer. And, you know, I saw tears. Come on, chills. I saw Tony crying. He's wiping away <laughs> tears. It's a true story. It was great, but man. It was it, awesome. It so sounds, good. it just, you know, it. You, you heard those notes coming out of that piano and you just felt it in your bones. You know, it was just like, it was so special. And I'm glad you were there, buddy. It was just great to have you up there. No, it was great, man. It was awesome. And then Saturday yeah. night at your uh, Seattle tasting room with Alan Johansson and uh, just yeah, dude, playing Kim, sticky. Kim Dial, man. Kim and you Dial, picked the, Soundgarden. You, and, and not only that is you picked the perfect album. You played Sticky Fingers and Some Girls as the warm-up albums before the main acts played right before Charlie Watts Watts passing. I mean, it was, it was a big stones night in that room that night. Also, it was, it was great, yeah. man. It was yeah. great. It's yeah. all about the yeah. music. So it all comes back yeah. to the music. That's right. And that's a good point, Tony. It is all about the music and that shows you how powerful music is. It brings friendships together. It's uh, there's an emotional support that music brings in times of need and good Lord, the last five and a half years <laughs> have been a time of need. And, yep. uh, and, uh, you know, we will always, always, always have music to fall back on. Uh, but thank God we've got Pearl Jam because, you know, they, they really laid out this sort of, um, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, but they, they mean so much to so many and, and a lot of different reasons, but to be that band that connects with so many people for different reasons um, is, it's just super special. And, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I know you because of this band and, and Anthony and I know each other because of this band and Jeff and I know each other because of this band. And so it's uh it's a special, it's a special thing. It is. It is good deal, man. 
Well, thank well, you. Well, Tony, listen, I, I, appreciate I can't it. thank you enough. Oh, shit, he's already on. We have another guest that's coming on here, and, and he can only be on for a few minutes. So, uh, Tony, we're going to bounce. Hey, I'll see and I'm going to add someone else on that um, is you, another person. Love you. I'll see you. All right, let's add him on. And here comes Brad. Brad, thank you so much for coming on on a last minute. Uh, thank you for taking your name tag off. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, are you working? You know, I have a work right now. Yeah, it's it's, it's busy up, up in Vancouver now that the Americans can come up. Uh, there's a, uh, it's definitely filling us up on weekends. So, you know, I've uh, Anthony, I've got some photos of Brad and I, uh, front row Spokane, uh, in what year was that, Brad? 2013. That was the Steve Gleason set list show. Yeah, it was a, yeah. a January or February, and one of my all time favorite pre show get-togethers so i have a good friend named jeff wells he lives in sun valley idaho he'd never been to a pearl jam show and he's a big music guy and i said jeff you got to come to this show i got two tickets and uh flying to spokane so he flew into spokane he landed at like noon but i drove up from walla walla like five in the morning i get there at like 8 30 there's already like 40 people in line and you know brad is already there right so <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> this is January or February. Is that my my, my thinking? This right? My timing right? January, oh, yeah. It was. I, no, it was. It was. Uh, I think it was early early December, or late November. It was cold. That's why I remember. Because that's, it was cold. Because yeah, they went from and, Spokane to Calgary, and a lot of people missed the Calgary show because of the blizzard. And yeah. then the Vancouver show and the Seattle show, which was super super cold. Yeah. And that they kicked everyone out of the grounds for that. We was who was camping out for GA because it was too cold. So we're waiting in line. It's eight, nine in the morning and everyone's wrapped up and you've got like people bringing you coffee. You know, it's the fan community. You can leave to go to the bathroom. No one's going to kick you out of line, all that stuff. Right. And my friend Jeff Wells flies in from Sun Valley. He shows up at noon. No one yells at him for jumping in line with me because I was saving his space. And, uh, but I wanted to give Jeff, I got there early because I wanted to give my friend Jeff a real Pearl Jam experience and his first show. And uh, we finally, they let us in the venue and uh, we're all right there on the rail. We're right in front of Mike. Um, you know, Brad's like four or five people over to my right, pretty much right in front of Eddie. And um, what a show that was. It's a great uh, show. And it was a great show. And like very like crowd interactive with the band. And uh, if you've ever watched the video, of the guy cutting his dreadlocks off during the song Brain of Jay. It's one of the all-time great Pearl Jam moments in the past 30 years. And I was so glad I was there to see it. My friend Jeff Wells was there to see it as well. And one of the many, one of the many things I've shared with you, Brad. And I'm that was glad super you cool. There. Yeah, it was a great time. Yeah. You look good, buddy. We did lose some uh, we did lose some pretty pretty amazing songs for Brain of Jay, but uh but it was yeah, it was yeah. it was a very very cool experience. I, I was still rocking the shorts. I actually did have to make a trip in the middle of the day to Costco to get some long underwear to put on underneath my shorts <laughs> to keep myself warm. And I remember I think I sh I, I came back with uh, like thirty hot dogs to feed everybody in line because <laughs> I'm like yeah, right. I'm at Costco. I'm gonna get a whole bunch of hot dogs. Yes, yeah, that's right. Well, well, there's 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 two questions I have for Brad. Yeah. Um, the first question is. What does the album 10 mean to you? It's weird. I wasn't really, I didn't immediately get into 10. 
Um, Ken, it's weird. It reminds me of an old photograph of me and a friend who was a roommate of mine um, in my front yard in Kelowna before um, she had won a trip to Seattle to go see the Mariners. And she was kind of like into the into the grunge thing, kind of more than more than me. And we were going to go down together. And I'd never been to Seattle before. And uh, something came up at the last minute, and she was kind of strapped for his money. I think somebody offered her some money for for the other half of the ticket. And she told me that she needed the money, and and that she was going to basically kind of like sell her extra ticket to kind of go down with her. I was like, okay. So I never really realized what I missed uh, trip wise to be able to kind of go down there and kind of see part of that until years later being able to be able to go to Seattle as much as I can. But it's, it's weird. It just, it more reminds me of that one photo of the two of the two of us in my front yard back in 1990, than an actual definitive moment or song or anything. And uh, like I didn't even, I don't even think, I know this may, this may sound sacrilegious. I don't even think I bought 10. I think the first Pearl Jam album I bought was Versus when it came out. Ah. And I didn't even well, buy ten. I it was it was well, on the radio enough, and I and I heard enough play to it. But it's it's pretty obviously it's pretty iconic that uh, it's it's lasted and endured as long as it is. And if you just like listen to the album from front to back, is is really an amazing album. And it just I don't know why I just didn't get into it enough right at the time. Just the the way kind of transition was with life. I'd uh, shortly after that I moved from uh, Kelowna to Victoria and just kind of got distracted with other things, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry I didn't have a better answer. Well, no, you know, no, Brad, no, you, no. You, you, but Brad made up for it, right? I mean, of all the fans out there, for for you know, first of all, that's definitely not the answer I I expected, Brad. Um, but for all the fans out there, you have made up for uh, you know that that ninety one ninety two time period where you didn't get to see them or listen to them that much. Yeah. Uh, how how many shows have you seen now, Brad? I'm up to, I think, about 108. I think between Sam and I, we're, all, we're almost at 200. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's not Rob territory, but it's pretty good. No. No, it's not Amy Moore territory either. Amy Moore was supposed to hit 400 until COVID hit. But. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Now, you know, I feel like tonight's like the 10, not the, like the 10 friendiversary show. Or yeah. like how it brought us together. You know. I've uh, Brad's a very good friend of mine. I talk to Brad more than sometimes I talk to my wife, um, which is, uh, you know, is <laughs> kind of funny. But, you know, um, I, I've known about Brad for a, a real long time and we have had our passing buys and we didn't really become friends until afterwards. And um, this band has really created this friendship between me and Brad that really means the world to me. Um, you know, and if it were not for this album, this friendship wouldn't exist. Not for this band. Do you have to, Brad, do you have to take that? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, you know, if not for this this album and not for this band, you know, this friendship wouldn't exist. And this friendship means the world to me. And I know that this, fr- you know, this album has created other opportunities for Brad with his wife, um, who I adore as well. And, uh, you know, I just want to, you know, say that, you know, um, I-, I appreciate you, Brad, uh, you know, for, for being my friend and dealing with me because I'm not the easiest person. <laughs> Same thing with you too, Trey. I mean, I don't, I'm surprised we're in a year into this damn show. I'm surprised you haven't dropped off yet. Um, but no, it's pretty awesome. And, I, and I'm glad that you were able to come on tonight. I know you were working, um, but you've been a big supporter of, of the show and watching and stuff. So it, it's, it's cool to have you on and uh, hear your story about what the show means, what, what the, what that album means. It's well, it, it's, it's like a lot of it. It's, it's the next level of it. It's, it's when it becomes, when it, 
the band kind of has evolved and, and, and kind of nurtured and, and created so many different friendships for so many different people from all over all over the world. It's really just remarkable. And it's it's pretty some cool. Some of my favorite Pearl Jam, some of my favorite Pearl Jam shirts I own came from Brad. Nice. <laughs> that, that is the truth. <laughs> what, what shirts? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anybody. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> hey, did you say a boot? Yeah. So it, 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 we're, we're talking Fight Club references now. You yeah. Know, the, you, we don't we don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah. Right. 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 And it, it's 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 just amazing the camaraderie and the and the people we've met and. Uh, I always thought it'd be weird or interesting to be able to kind of, if you could see a live replay of the concert you went to and just see how close you were, proximity, or ran into people who became future friends at a certain time. It's like you you, you were like seven spots in the way for, from from somebody who you didn't know at the time, who two years later becomes a great friend. It's just it'd be be weird to be able to see that perspective. One of the biggest moments of my uh, professional photography life um, and something that meant the world. I mean, this story goes back. I, I've known about Brad and Sam for a real long time. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know about them, but you don't know how to approach them. Um, one of the, you know, when I got to photograph Pearl Jam, uh, you know, Brad tried to sell me a ticket. Um, <laughs> and it was interesting. It was the first time we ever talked. And, uh, you know, we had talked a few times after that, too. But, like, you know, then we had this – we we really grew in friends when I met him in Seattle. And we had we spent a couple of days together. But, um, you know, it's kind of like he had said, like, these stories of – you know, me and Brad were in the same areas many times. But our friendship wasn't until years later. But it is cool to think that, like, how many times we were in that vicinity. Same thing with you, Trey. I know we've been to a lot of show, the similar shows together. Yeah. Just, you know, and it's cool to think that, like, how this band has brought us together, honestly. So – I remember Sam telling me about Trey before I ever met Trey. I think Sam met Trey, I think at the uh, that uh, Soundgarden CBGB show at Paramount Studios. Oh man, down there for that, that was, Trey? what a great show that was. That was yeah, that was uh, Tim Bierman invited me down for that show, and yeah. uh, that was on the set of the Paramount Studios or one of the one of the movie studios down there, and Soundgarden had gotten back together. They had just um, given their sort of musical rights over to, was it like, not give uh, it? was like Guitar Hero? Yeah, Guitar Hero or whatever it was, right? Yeah, or Rockstar and, or something, yeah. And they were just going to release their next, I, I can't remember what the next album that was coming out was, but because that next album was on going to be part of the Guitar Hero package, uh, and they pre-sold that, before the album was released, it was already a gold record because mm. gold records aren't just album sales, it's music sales. And because it was through a video game, so they had this great party uh, in Hollywood on this movie set and they recreated the CBGB uh, studio. You, you felt like you were walking into it and then, of course, you're on the soundstage. Still to this day, mm. loudest concert I've ever been to. I, I, that's why I wear these things. That that fucking show is responsible for my <laughs> loss of hearing. So loud, but it was great. Uh, that's a, that's a funny story. I didn't realize that that's where we actually met. But that's or what. I, see, no, that's, that's, that's that's where you met Sam. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, funny, a funny, a funny Sam story, and then we'll let Brad go because I know he's working, and I don't want to take too much away. But a couple of months ago, I I was going through my phone. And I take I, and I had this random video of like someone yelling at a guy. I remember taking it and we were at a bar 
and this guy was acting like a dick the whole time, and some girl walks up to him and, like, yells at him, and then, like, walks off and he stops dancing. Well, when I took that video, I had no idea who that person was. Years later, come to find out that was Sam that was at the bar that, like, she was trying to walk past him, and he kept this guy was dickingly, like, dancing and acting like that, and she gets in his face and yells, and I sent it to Brett. I said, look what I found on my phone. And he's like, what the hell is that from? I said, dude, I have no idea. I just, <laughs> this is shit that I keep on my phone, but that was my first interaction with Sam. But um, so funny. In, in, in all honesty, um, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I know that, you know, you're working, and I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking for a little bit um, and uh, doing Brad, this. Brad, am out. I going to see you? I'm going to see you down at Ohana Encore? I, I, that's, that's the plan. As long as things okay. go well, hopefully I'll, I'll, go, I'll be able to see you and Matt and uh, and Sam, and I'll be able to make it down. A couple of friends, yeah. Looking forward to that. All right, yeah. perfect. Well, let's Fingers stay in crossed. touch about where you're staying and all this stuff, but we'll make sure we get to hang out, okay? Uh, Sounds good. Fuck. Congrats you, you, on you guys congrats are, on a year, guys. You guys are awesome. Like, oh, thank you so in. much. You, you you guys are really pushing me to do this fucking encore, aren't you? This I mean, this is like this is a you bunch of my favorite encore, people in like one place. Hey, you got to go to the encore. I need a lighter. <laughs> All right, well, listen, here's another song from the album 10, and we'll be right back after this song. Take care, guys. See you back. Our records. I just have to tell you all this people and work people, this is a very unusual thing. Anthony, can you hear me? Yeah. That's weird. I, so, I can't uh, hear it now. One more. No strength. And I didn't push any. Anthony. Anthony. I can hear you. I'm texting you. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I can't hear the. Uh, this is the Tower Records show. I can't hear it at all. I don't know if you hit something that I didn't hear. Uh, Oh, 
So, why do I have an echo now? The so fuck? that was that was uh, New Jersey. I thought that was Tower Records, right? That was Tower Record. Okay. No, that was New Jersey. But Tower Records in New Jersey, or like some record store in New Jersey? I think that's the Tower Records store uh, promo series that they did when they went to like on the West Coast, East Coast, okay. New York, and they did all that the in store stuff. Yeah. Wow. See how cool would that have been to see that, right? Just like they probably played like three or four songs, no mics, all acoustic. It, it so did remind I, me. It reminded me of, and that, that was right after the album was released. But correct. You know when when. I will tell you the unplugged episode of MTV, the impact that that had on me was also huge, right? Yeah. That was like, that was the exact same time they came, they, they came through Athens during the same time that was released not far after that. And uh, I remember how impactful that, that performance was. You know, it's interesting. So when I was doing uh, Strange Tribe Live uh, two years ago, we had a woman come on. She had called in and she had talked about how she had saw the Tower Records show in, I want to say, New York. And it was accidental. Like, she had fell into this, right? Like, she was just kind of buying an album and was able to fall into this. And that's how she f fell in love with the band. And she talked about, like, the intimacy of, like, seeing the band without, like, the instruments and, like, this, like, raw way of their playing style of, like, how your emotions really came through right and that's that's pretty special so yeah you, you know there's there's noise. a couple performances over the 30 years of this band being together that you look back at and you're like what if i was there for like unplug is one of them you know the 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 in stores they did in their early days is another one their first live show when you look at it before eddie really broke out of his shell there's there's a lot of performance that really stand out, right? I mean, there, there's there's a lot of podcasts that do that really well and talk about shows and what they mean. But like, we all know of these like shows and what they mean to the band and us as as fans. So it's interesting for sure. But you know, Royal, yeah, man, Royal I was wish like that a little bit too, right? I mean, Benaroya was um, not just an acoustic show, but acoustic show in a building that was built for that kind of music. And I think that is why that album resonates with people uh, so much is um, uh, you've got this band that, that you sort of knew uh, as, you know, a, a electric rock band essentially. And how can they be so great with a bunch of acoustic instruments and just uh, some vocals, you know, like how can they convey the same uh, power and emotion in their songs without all that noise? You know, it's like, I mean, McCready's guitar plugged in versus, but that's the, uh, you know, the magic of that group, you know, it's the magic of that band uh, that, that they can convey. And Nirvana was the same way. The Nirvana Unplugged was, and the Allison Chains, let's face it seattle was amazing yeah. back then i mean all those bands well, were you know Trey, you talk about seattle being amazing back then but even when i came to seattle in 2019 and you know i went to uh east street records and i you know they were introducing me to all these upcoming artists that were coming out of seattle there's still this like i don't know how to explain there, there's there's 
it really has these this amazing music scene in Seattle of musicians. Hell, Stereo Embers, you know, um, I mean, you know, oh God, I mean, there's just fires that were at your that played just a couple weeks Hi. ago at your at your place. The, Kathy Moore Trio. I mean, there's so many of these amazing bands in Seattle. There's something in the water up there that's consistently making amazing bands. Yeah. There's a new band called the Black Tones. Uh, yep. It's a duo. It's a brother-sister duo. And they are incredible. Um, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. There's still so much great music coming out of here. I mean, it, it's it, it's just a matter of trying to figure out the avenues. You know, the avenues that Pearl Jam had in 1991 to deliver their music to people is com- it's completely different today. There is yeah. no MTV. There is no radio. Radio is pop radio. Unless it's KEXP or KCRW that is playing these new bands that deserve a voice. Um, Other than that, you're just listening to corporate radio. And you're not getting, you're not going to listen to those bands. So it, it, it takes more work from the user's end to go find it. It's really, it's weird, right? Technology has given us the ability to listen to anything we want to, whenever we want, wherever we want. But there's just so much noise out there that it, you know, you have to do the work to go find it now. Where it used to, yeah. like, you turn the radio, you turn MTV, and it come to you, and these bands would be playing, and and th- those avenues have really dried up. Uh, and so, you know, I. I I feel for musicians trying to make it in this industry today because you think it'd be easier with all the avenues you have to put it out there. But in reality, it's that much harder because there's just so much more noise out there. Well, talking about musicians making it nowadays, I want to bring up something. So what we're going to do this evening, we have three more songs to play off the album 10. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to talk about something here in a minute. We're going to play a song. I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about what 10 means to me. Play a song. We're going to wrap up everything, We're gonna, and then we're going to close out the night with one more song, so we have three more songs. I think that's fair. Wouldn't you say so, Trey? That's fair. I mean, we're, we're, okay. we're, two, we're almost three hours into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this, this, I mean, we weren't exp- – I mean, we just pulling guests out of our ass, which is Well, great. you know, look, um, look it, it's 30 years. It is – It is. if anything deserves a three-hour podcast, it is Pearl Jam's 30th anniversary of 10, and, and I'm, I'm glad we're doing it together, buddy. Well, I appreciate that. You know, you had mentioned about how bands kind of have a harder time bringing it up. So I'd mentioned this a little while ago when we were talking about um, what we're doing before See Her Now Festival. So I wanted to show this um, on the... Oh, whoop, nope. On the next month, the night before See Her Now Festival, we are going to be putting together Shorestock. Shorestock is an event that is raising money for the Project Matters. The Project Matters is an organization out of New Jersey that is helping New Jersey musicians that cannot afford the instruments, the lessons um, to get them to the next level. So there's, there's a lot of kids out there that want to learn how to play guitar or play an instrument and just can't afford it. Well, this woman, her name's Karen High. Unfortunately, her son had passed away at a very young age. She was very into music and playing instruments and being in a band. Um, she used his story and his memory to create the project matters. 
Um, everyone, there's we have a lot of moving pieces at Touring Fan Live, and we are putting together Shore Stock. That's one piece of this. And we're going to have Paul Wirt, who was on a little while ago, uh, members uh, that have graduated from the program, um, the Project Matters, that will be performing that night, the U.S. Americans, and some surprise guesses uh, for this. So all the money we raise at this event is going to be um, giving directly to the Project Matters. Also, um, we are doing uh, this ukulele auction. We have sent these ukuleles to some of the top artists in the poster game. Tyler Stout, um, Brad Clausen, Jim Mazza, Bailey Race, uh, Steve Thomas. Oh, my God, I'm forgetting so many. Um, the Copper Trees, uh, Brian Meth, John Gloom, and so many more. 13 artists. They have all painted ukuleles one of one. They're significant. They're never going to be made like this for it. Only one. They're going to be up for auction. So right now, if you want to, you can text TPM for the project matters of TPM to 843-606-6063 to learn how you can uh, bid on these pieces of work. Um, It's amazing. Right now we have the Steve Thomas... The John Gloom uh, ukulele is up to uh, to bid on right now, so you can go to that and bid on those as we speak. So we are in moving pieces of that. So and none of this happens. This touring fan live, this auction, us raising money for the project matters. I, all the people working, we have about thirty people working on all this stuff. None of this happens if not for this album. That's true. So that's where we're at. So, Trey, we're going to play a song. Yeah. I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about what I feel about 10. Awesome. Play a song. Wrap this shit up. Finalize the last song. And call it a night. Sounds good to me, buddy. I can't wait to hear them. Here we go.
Trey, never in the show's history have we had such a drop off in viewership. <laughs> What's that? Is there so a drop off in viewership? What happened? We lose everybody. Drop off. Uh, you know what? Yeah, when you when it's a three hour show, it's going to happen. Uh, it's funny. I, I watched that. I watched that video, and there's a few other you've shown already that Mike McCready's wearing that. He looks like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. You know, he's wearing that. It's not a cowboy hat necessarily, but like it's a Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of a hat. You can see where some of his influence came from. So. That's a great song. I love that. There was a question about Ward Sutton doing a uke, and uh, Ward think, Sutton, right? who I've become very good friends with, and he is doing a uke. Good. If you're very good friends with him, can you see if he can get me a few posters? I doubt it. Oh, okay. All right. Fine. Never mind. <laughs> one of my one of my all time favorite posters I own is the Seattle poster with the guy pulling the skull apart, mm-hmm. and, and then the other head coming out of it. Um, he was him. on my list of people I wanted to interview for a long time, and yeah. I was nervous because, you know, he doesn't do interviews very often. He's a very he's a very keeps to himself kind of guy. Yeah, and he did he did an interview for me about I don't know, eight months ago, and he is the most generous, nice guy. So such a sweetheart. Yeah, he's been very and, active recently on uh, on social. You know, he, he's uh, he's putting put himself back out there and. Uh, he's been doing a ton of new art and a lot of political stuff too, which, which I love about him. So he's, great. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's absolutely amazing. And, um, yeah. I'm glad to see him out and about because he is such an underrated artist and he is. I love seeing him do some stuff. So, um, Anthony, I have a question for you. Hey brother. What does Pearl Jam 10 mean to you? Hmm. You know, I've said this in past shows that, I don't really have um, a lot of connection and friends locally where I live. And most of the friends that I have have because of Pearl Jam. Yeah. You know, and this kind of ties in with what I was talking a while ago. You know, music is is what got me through life. You know, I didn't have the greatest childhood, didn't have the greatest upbringing. It was rough. I had a lot of moments that really were dark and music was what got me through it. And, you know, I think back to the album 10, and I remember listening to it. Um, I stole it out of my aunt's uh, Camaro. She had it. It was, it was a piece of shit Camaro. She didn't deserve having it anyway. And I stole it out of her car. I got in trouble for it later in life, but um, I don't regret it now. And I remember there was a significant period of my life where something had happened to me that really held, um, that was that, that, you know, to this day really kind of haunts me. But, you know, I was in my room alone. I remember putting that, C- that CD on and um, listening to my yellow Sony uh, CD player, the one that you supposedly you could shake it and it wouldn't skip, yeah. but it definitely skipped. And I remember for the, the 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 time that album was from the first song right to the end when release finalizes and you get the you know the the ambient music that everything went away that every you know pain I was feeling at that moment and everything that was really hurting me was irrelevant. So 10 to me is probably a lifesaver. And I know people have said that, and I know it's, it's hard and some people might not understand that, but um, 
you know, without this band, I wouldn't have met my wife because I wouldn't have met Paul. And Paul is the person who got me to meet my wife. Without this band, I don't have my kids. I don't, I don't move. I don't stay in Virginia. I probably would have went back to Boston. Without this band, I don't meet you and your friendship means the world to me. Without this band, I don't meet Brad and Brad's one of my dearest friends. Without this band, I don't have this show. Without this band, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of things I have. Yeah. And it's weird to think that, right? Like it's weird to think about, like you had said, the butterfly effect of without this, what, what can you do? And it's weird to like, you know, there was, some, a couple months ago, someone mentioned was like, "Hey, if you can go back in time and and change things, would you do it?" And I said, "No," because the smallest thing you change, maybe you don't have what you have now. Yeah. And sometimes those sacrifices and those hard times in your life bring you to better things. So this album's everything to me. And you know, it's interesting because I got into an argument a couple of months ago, and I think I told you about this tray where someone had talked about how they went to the bathroom during Evenflow. I said, you know, why? He's like, well, I see it a bunch of times. I said, but it's not about seeing it a bunch of times. You know, this is a piece of art. Like, even flow is a piece of art. You know, like we had heard a little while ago, <laughs> you know, the actual final cut is a spliced version together, which is hilarious to me. I didn't know that. Right. Um, yeah. But this, this, this album came out at the right time, was put together by the right people, and has changed the lives of millions of people. Yeah. And because of that, it defines millions of people's lives. No arguments. I mean, it's, yeah. It's succinctly said, my friend. So, how do you argue? And, and, and uh, you know, There are other bands that have done this for other people, right? You know, if the, if the Rolling Stones did that for people and, and the Beatles did that for people and, and, you know, name a band. I mean, it doesn't really matter what that band is, but uh, that's the power of music. And if, if, you know, you're lucky enough to find that band that speaks to you and helps you get through the day and, and puts a smile on your face or, you know, you know, takes you from a shitty mood to a great mood. Um, that is awesome. And uh, I, you know, I don't know what I'd do without this band, and I'm thankful for them. So, Well, uh, let's play one more song. Yeah. Then we'll come back, wrap it up, and then close it with probably what I think is the greatest Pearl Jam song of all time. So two more songs tonight. One more rant and rave from me and Trey, and then we're going to call it an evening. All right, here we go. Whoop, nope, that is...
Christmas interesting we were just we were texting a minute ago and like the uh, idea that people had recorded these you <laughs> know VHS, vhs baby well think i want i want to throw you a stat at you um before we close this up and play our last song when pearl jam came out right yeah. 30 years prior to that was the beatles right so how we're looking at pearl jam right now is how people were looking at the beatles back in 1991 right and that's I mean, significant because I think it shows handoff, right? Like how music changes over 30 years, right? In the last 30 years, there's been a significant difference in the quality and how music's interpreted and how music's listened to and how music is seen and heard, everything, right? I mean, you know, we all have our opinions about things, but there has been amazing bands in between Pearl Jam in 1991 and Pearl Jam in 2001, 2021, Jesus. And um, it's it's crazy to think how, if you think about Pearl Jam starting in 1991 and 1961, how all that music that came in between there, right? Like that 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 30 years. Think of the difference, yeah. right? It's it's a wild ride. Well, so last night Holly and I watched uh, rewatched Eight Days a Week. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a Ron Howard documentary mm -hmm. or movie about the Beatles and it's one of the great music documentaries if you've never seen it you guys are watching this tonight um, I highly recommend you go watch it it's on it was on Hulu or yeah I think it was Hulu um, and what was remarkable about watching that was Ron and his team found so much footage and I'm talking early footage high school footage of their you know right when they got together and you're like, oh, I'm so glad people are there to document that. That's how I feel about Pearl Jam. I'm so glad that there were people out there to document this stuff. And, you know, we can all just go to YouTube and watch these shows. Yeah. Uh, although I will tell you, I was, I was texting Anthony watching that video. I've seen that video a hundred times. That dude in front of the cameraman, he's got Tourette's syndrome. 
what he's shaking his head with his ponytail and i'm like oh it just that this thing drives me absolutely nuts so uh but that the, the crazy thing about that um that show that we just watched that that was mural amphitheater seattle 1991 that was dave abruzzi's first uh, pearl jam concert playing at he had flew in four days prior to that and then played that show and so that is that's a remarkable what a historic uh historic thing so so uh, let's talk about this we have we are one year into um you know we are one year into the show yeah we have done 12 episodes um, we are at over a million listens on the podcast, which I am ex- 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 so, so excited about in the world. Oh my God, this text is hilarious. Um, yeah, come on. We gotta, we gotta get him on, right? I mean, I, if he wants to, I'm just going to send him the link. How's that sound? All right, send him the link. All right. We got and one more special comes, guest. He hopefully, hopefully he can join in. If he can, he can. If he can, he can't. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, listen, it's the... The thirty year. I don't even know what time it is. Listen, my my computer's. I'm I'm looking at like my my laptop says it's twelve fifteen, which is Eastern Standard Time. My iPad saying eleven fifteen. I, I don't know what the hell's going on in this world. I, I, you know, the last time I did we'll this see. Kansas City trip, I wasn't confused by this time zone. This trip has really fucked with my head. But um, well, I do want to talk about this. So our next, we've been doing this twelve episodes. Our thirteenth episode is coming up next month. Um. Looking at a calendar, if you're in front of it, uh, yeah. How does September 28th look for you? Or that's tw- I'm sorry, 29th. Yeah. What day? 29th. Yep, the last yeah, Wednesday great. of September. Okay. Uh, We've been should... doing recently two songs, yeah. right? I think we need to leave ten for a while because we just talked about it in extents. Yeah. Where do we want to go? What if we have we got anything like super recent, like new, new? So I was thinking. I mean, I I put no thought into this whatsoever. By the way, you know, I literally I started harvest yesterday. Like we brought in, I got you know three tons of Chardonnay fermenting in my cellar right now. So my <laughs> mind has been on my mind has been on uh, wine making. Um, but uh, I, you know, obviously, I've been thinking about this this show. Um, sure. I've, I've, I've not put any thought into the next show, so I'm going to let you. Uh, I'm going to let you uh, dictate it. All right. So I think we should do two songs. One off of No Code because today is the 25th anniversary of that, Which, and I'd like to do Smile. Uh, oh, what a great song! And then because Tony Bounds just said Yield on the chat, I'm going to go with Yield, and I'm going to do. Um, have we done? Oh, Faithful in Hiding. Um, fuck it. Let's do Faithful. So we're going to do Faithful and we're going to do Smile um, next month on, on that Wednesday. The show will not be three hours long. Um, I can guarantee you that. I don't know if we're going to have another guest or not. This is – I literally – during the whole show, I'm just texting we, people. We enjoyed, come listen, just, hopefully you guys enjoyed the guest and you guys give us some feedback in the comment section uh, or text us. But uh, I love having guests on. You know, Anthony's tired of looking at my face, I'm sure. And oh, asking no. any questions, so it's really fun. I think having another person on with a with a, a third or fourth perspective. So, well, I mean. you know, it's when when I think back of the year of doing this, 
I'll never forget texting you, and I was nervous about it too. And I think I've told you this story, but I don't think I've told it on air. It was like, you know, I had just left, um, you know, another organization, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I was like, I need to start doing things on my own again. And so I text you, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I have this idea. What do you think? And you didn't text me back right away. And I probably thought it was spam. I probably didn't even have your number written <laughs> in my thing. I was like, who the fuck is this? Well, it was <laughs> thanks, but it was like two days later. You're like, dude, that's a great idea. We should definitely do it. Do it. And um, it was a year ago. Yesterday, we did our first episode, um, and it was interesting. About three episodes in the, po- I mean, our, we have really good viewership on on YouTube and here, you know. But our podcast, I'm, I don't know what the hell it is, but we've done really well. Um, I don't know if this three hour long episode will, yeah, but this, this, uh, our viewership's gonna like drop dramatically after this one. We'll lose everybody. <laughs> We literally just got rid of our entire audience. They were like, fuck this shit. <laughs> but <laughs> but I am super, uh, you know, I am super grateful for you. I'm also super grateful for your wife uh, for allowing you to take time away from her. Uh, I know that your time is limited with uh, running the, the vineyard and um, the winery. Um, so I appreciate you both doing this, allowing this to happen. Um, and I look forward to another year of this show. I can't wait. Ooh, uh, recap show. All right. Well. Our special guest is going to join us on the next one. So, all right. All right. All right. So we're going to make that happen. All right. Definitely. All right. Trey, any. What are we lining up? What are we lining up? What's the last song? Well, we all know what the last song is. Of course. This, to me, is my favorite song of all time. Of all time. Of all time, this song really um, got me through a lot. Yeah. So this is this is special to me. Uh, Trey, any final words before we sign off, buddy? No, brother. I love you. Thank you so much for hosting this show with with us and uh, allowing me to, um, you know, this is a creative outlet, I guess, in a way, and uh, to be able to talk about um, the band that I, that we all love so much, and uh, you know, I feel like we're able to talk about this in a safe environment because we're all nuts in the same way. So thank you for hosting it and uh, bringing me uh, on, on board your ship. So thank you, buddy. All right. Well, I love you too, buddy. Uh, you hang tight. Let's get this uh, last song out and uh, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Hey. Woo-hoo. Hey. 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 Hey.